since Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Maryland. The best picture this year will also be the funniest. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. There's one thing sure, boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex, or a picture about it. You stay here as long as you like. Jack may have beaten Tony to the sugar, but not for long. You're not giving yourself a chance. Don't fight it. Marilyn sing the fabulous songs of the Roaring Twenties on the United Artists' soundtrack album. Running wild, lost control, running wild, mighty bold, feeling gay, reckless too, carefree mind all the time, never blue, always going, don't know where, always showing, I don't care, don't love nobody. It's not worthwhile All alone Running wild Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the essential films. It's been about two months since you last saw us when we last talked about uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, we did say that we were going to go on a bit of a hiatus. We are kind of coming in here at the end of February, but we're back. We're here. And uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Mark Espinosa. How are you doing today, sir? What's going on, man? How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Now, we, you and I have been busy. We've been trying to get all of our uh, our Oscar movies in before uh, this Sunday's big event. Uh, you know, I know that you were, you're going to be spending all the entire weekend uh, crammed in a movie theater at an AMC uh, doing the 24-hour gimmick. That's right. It's a tradition that we I've been doing uh, about how long? I think the when we started going back to it was for 2013. So this would be the fourth fifth year in a row that I'm actually going to sit through every single Best Picture nominee 24 hours before the, the Academy Awards. So I'm, I'm excited. I was looking forward to this weekend. I thought you went back to like 2012 one. I thought like you were watching like the the Argo and the Amour and wasn't that? Yeah, but that was, but it, but it was in 2013 though, right? Like it was 2012. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. more in the middle of a freaking movie marathon. How mu- that must have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, this year you got Manchester by the Sea <laughs> uh, and, and Moonlight. Uh, bro, that's the curtain jerker. Like that's, I was, I was shocked when I found out. That's a bit much, man. For the the see, I want to think. I, I but what's the where's La La Land in the lineup? I will tell you in approximately ten seconds. I'm actually pulling up the schedule right now as I speak on the uh, AMC Theaters website. So okay, you got Manchester, then it's Fences. So everything starts at ten on Saturday morning. Um, you have Manchester by the Sea starting at ten a.m. That's the first movie, the curtain jerker, as we like to say. Then. At 12.40 will be Fences. Then after that one will be Lion. I guess, I don't know if that's a good place. You've seen Lion. I haven't seen it yet, but I don't know if you think that's a good placement for it or not. And then after Lion will be La La Land before the dinner break at 5.40. I don't know. I think I would have put La La Land like in like a midnight type slot because it would wake you up a little, you know? That's, that's how, true. That's a, it's a, it seems like an odd one to put right before dinner because like that's when you're winding down and you... I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, I, I, I guess they know what they're doing, right? But I think I, I'd put like right. I hope put, so. I would put La La Land around the time that you're starting to fall asleep because you're just too tired. Because that movie's energetic and it kind of gets you moving, right? That's um, true. Uh, that that would be that would be my guess. I I did see Lion the other day. I actually was able. Um, I was working a very late shift at work, so uh, that meant that I didn't have to go into the office late. So I went to see a ten a.m. screening of Lion, uh, because it was you know I was like, hey, why not? Like, I have the after I have the morning free. I'll go see a uh, I'll go see a matinee. Hadn't done that in a long time, so I went to see Lion because you know it was a best picture contender, and I went and I had you know I heard a couple things about it. Uh, it, it you know it it it's the best way to see a movie in the sense that. I went in, I had never seen a trailer for it. I had no idea what it was about. I literally knew zero about the film before I walked in. Uh, other right. than it was up for Best Picture, I think Best uh, Actor and Best Supporting Actress for Nicole Kidman. I, I, I don't know. There might be some other ones, but those are the three I knew it was up for. Uh, so when I got in, not, literally not knowing anything, man, I'm just going to tell you, just prepare to have your heartstrings just tugged and tugged and tugged. Uh, it's not. I'm not going to say it's a, it, it's a sad movie, but if you get to the end of that film and your eyes are dry, you are not a human being. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. I'm not going to say it's sad or anything, but it's certainly you. If you cannot be moved by that movie, you're a robot. Wow. All right. Strong words. I'm definitely looking forward to checking this one out. That said, I don't. I'm not quite sure. I would put it in in best picture in best picture contention. But that's just me. It is very good, yeah. but I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't put it in like the whatever. What is it? Nine this year? Eight or nine? The thing I think it's nine. nine this year. Yeah, nine. I wouldn't put it in the nine best of the year. That's certainly not. But it's still a very good film. Yeah, um, yeah. It's nine this year, which is messing up. <laughs> it's messing up the schedule this year because so you have dinner after La La Land. Then at eight forty-five, you have Hidden Figures. That's the one that's supposed to bring you back from the dinner break. Okay. Then you. Then you have Moonlight at 11.15 at night. Then you have Hell or High Water at 1.15. After Hell or High Water, you have Hacksaw Ridge at 3.30 a.m. And then the uh, main event, I guess we'll call it because it's the last film of the lineup, you have Arrival at 6.10 a.m. And then I guess that's about a couple hours and then around 8.10, 8.15, 8.30, I'm heading home. (laughs) 
man, that's kind of a weird. It's so, it's so weird to think about when you, when when you're going to be watching those movies now. I know in the past you have had uh, you you told me about these. How how were you able to? Are you able to like stay awake or not? Have you ever like well, fallen asleep? My my strategy has kind of been refined over the years with experience because I always thought that having Red Bulls next to me and drinking a couple of Red Bulls at eleven o'clock at midnight at one. I mean, it does actually it does help me. The problem is that my stomach cannot handle energy drinks or Red Bulls. So, uh. um, not to go into too much detail, but like I think it was the first year I did it was for Zero Dark Thirty. Like when I was watching that movie, um, the stomach pains kicked in and I had to like go to the bathroom. So I'm just gonna cut the story there, but you can imagine what happened. So after that, I I learned I can't have Red Bulls at this thing because it just kills my stomach. So. You know, the little balance of caffeine here, some soda, some coffee, you know, and I'm I'm able to kind of sit through it without really dozing off or anything. Although last year I came close to dozing off with, uh, what's that movie, uh, Bridge of Spies? Yeah. Mm. That That's one, oh, pretty close. But Now, the the ones at kind of the critical hour, there's Moonlight, uh, Hell or High Water, and Hacksaw Ridge. Those are the ones in the middle of the night, right? Yes. Have you seen any of those? I have seen Hell or High Water. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Moonlight, I have not seen. Hacksaw Ridge, I actually plan on seeing tomorrow because I bought the uh, Target exclusive Steelbook Blu-ray. So oh, is that already out on the I, am, I didn't know that. It came out this week, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I've, seen, I've seen all three. You saw Hell or High Water. I think if, I was, if it was me, I'd probably nap during that one since I already saw it. You know? Um, yeah. But that's just me. Even though it's not, not an indicator of quality, because it's a great movie. But uh, but it is it, it, since I already saw, you kind of have to like, you know, you might have to like uh, pick your battles here. Moonlight is a slow movie, so I, I, I it might test your 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 sleep endurance there. Um, but Hacksaw Ridge will wake you up because I, right, right. I saw Hacksaw Ridge earlier this week, um, and that that'll wake you up. Well, at least. The second half of the movie will wake you up. Because that second half is just... Uh, it, it, if the movie's two hours long, the l- entire last hour is 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 a battle sequence that just goes on forever. So um, uh, that might wake you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I am looking at the running time. It is about two hours here. So which means it would end at 5.30. And I have Arrival starting at 6.10, which means it's going to be probably like a little breakfast break in between. Like Usually what they like to do... They'll have everybody go out to the lobby. They'll have like coffee, orange juice, like donuts there, so you can munch on for about a half hour before the the final movie. I mean, they're really good with. I gotta say, like AMC, they're really really good with like you know treating us very special. Like we get like the dinner breaks, we get the breakfast, you know, at like five in the morning or whenever it is. So uh, hopefully, like I have a good experience this year too. Have you ever not had a good experience? I think you always liked it. I've always liked it, like, overall. I mean, there's been a couple of years where, like, I, I felt like they kind of half-assed it. Like, I remember my first year, which was the 2013 one for the 2012 the one we just talked about. Like, the, there was an MC there, and he was doing, like, trivia all night, and he was doing giveaways. Like, he would win, like, posters from the lobby. You'd win, like, T-shirts, hats. Like, it's – and then they would have, like, the, the whole, like, breakfast, breakfast gig, and it was – it was really nice. I really, really had fun. Like I, um, I think Joe, you know my friend Joe, he, uh, mm-hmm. he won a, he won one of the trivia things. I think he got a hat or something from like some movie. I forgot what it was, but uh, um, but then there was like a, a year, maybe a couple years, like the it was all disorganized. Like they didn't let us in to like maybe ten minutes before the movie was supposed to start, and then they didn't have like no guy doing any trivia. 
and like they, it felt like they just kind of half-assed that. It was like two years ago they did that, but last year they kind of made up for it. They it's coming back, and uh, hopefully this year, like it just keeps going upward because you know when you go to these things, I mean, it's supposed to be a special event, and you know you kind of expect like you know the trivia contest, little giveaways, like it just makes it more special. Right. Um, yeah, I saw. I was at the, the when I went to see Lion. It was an AMC theater, and they were they were promoting that big time. Uh, which I didn't realize they were going to do here in the suburbs. It was actually were uh, I thought they was mostly going to be in the in the city theaters, but um, it just you know when you have a kid and you have a family, it's just not easy to to take away like an entire twenty four hours to go watch movies. It's not gonna it's not gonna fly well with the wife, you know. Right, <laughs> but you do have to do it sometime. Maybe in a couple of years when yeah. she's a little older. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll try to get it done. I mean, well, uh, the first year you go, you, all, you like the challenge. The first year is you have to stay up the entire twenty four hours. So, right. yeah, and I, I fall asleep easily. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's a, I'm I'm one of those people that can fall asleep anywhere. So uh, it, 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 that might be a that might yeah. be a challenge for me. Um, but that said, I, I am still. Uh, how many films do you have? Do you have left before we uh, before you? complete the, the the best pictures like which ones have not have you not seen well hacksaw i'm watching tomorrow and right. then it would be just uh, lion and moonlight and that's it okay uh i i have i crossed everything off except hidden figures and fences those are the only two that i have left uh i i, I have a plan in place to watch hmm, i wonder what they have in common oh come on i almost <laughs> I, I, hey i'm not gonna be one of those people that put puts his foot in his mouth says hidden fences um uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, i i am um, i did uh i do have a plan to watch both of those before oscar night um i should be able to get them squeeze them both in uh those are the last two films i i kind of want to i want to watch before i i do my top 10 of the year uh i, I watched silence earlier this week which was good but um I don't know if it's if it's Scorsese's best. It was a little, it was a little slow. I'm not sure about if you if you saw that. I know it's not up for best picture, but it was kind of a bigger. Oh, you, oh, you saw Silence. Yes. Actually, I, Silence was uh, one of my favorites of 2016. Really? Yeah, I agree. It is a little slow, but for me, it was like the number two best movie. Wow. Or my my number two favorite movie of 2016. It was just it, it's just like the, the subject matter and just as Andrew Garfield's performance, everything just hit me like in all the right spots. And when I came out of it, I was just kind of in a daze, and I was like, this is. This is a damn good a movie, a damn good experience to sit through. I, I will say this though. I will say that um, even though I don't necessarily highly rank it as highly as you, I think that Andrew Garfield was nominated for the wrong performance. He was nominated for Hacksaw Ridge um, and not Silence. Um, having seen both of them, I think I think he deserved it more for Silence than for Hacksaw Ridge. He's fine in Hacksaw Ridge, but I think he, he did a. He, it's. I think what he had to do in Silence is a lot more. Is it was a lot more challenging. Um, I'm, I'm, it's funny you say that because you remember from the uh, Force Perspective episode, uh, Draven actually said that uh, um, Hacksaw Ridge was the better performance. But since oh, I haven't I'm, seen I, that one yet, I'm watching tomorrow. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, interesting. Yeah, so I'll, I'll 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 have my own opinion after uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, so. I think I think this is the I think Silence might be the better performance, even though I think Hacksaw Ridge. No, I think Silence might be the better film, um, but because I have issues with Hacksaw Ridge, uh, some of the the plotting of it, even though it's kind of a really well directed film, the 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 screenplay I think was 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 really lacking. But um, uh, I did uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Science might be a better film overall, actually. Now that I think about it, I I will say the the nomination it got for cinematography was well deserved. 
um, because that movie, yes, that movie was beautiful to look at. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I just wanted to catch up there with you a little bit on, on, on what we've been doing since uh, since December. Uh, but we're not here to talk about movies of the now. That's for Force Perspective later this uh, later uh, this month. Cheap plug. Um, but uh, we're here to talk about classic films. Um, and on this week's episode, we're going to talk about, I think, our first true 100% comedy. Now, I think some people might consider It's a Wonderful Life a comedy. It certainly is funny. Uh, but I don't think it was a pure comedy. It's more of a family film, more of a drama. Uh, this is, I think, the first pure comedy we've done on the show, and that is Some Like It Hot. Yes, yes, the classic, classic Billy Wilder film. One of my absolute favorite movies. I'll, I never. This is one of those movies you just never get tired of watching. Like even now, like how many years later, like the, it, it, everything just still works. The comedy still works. Everything about it just works still, and you know, and it's a movie that has aged very well. Yeah, so I'm gonna put this on Front Street right now. Every time we do one of these, uh, one of these shows, I have, you know, pages and pages of notes that I took during while I was watching the film because I wanted to make sure. Oh, I want this talking point. I want that talking point. Uh, I didn't do that this time because there were too many times I just found myself just stopping, just watching the movie and enjoying it because the movie is so freaking funny, and it's it's hard to believe that in. What is it? 1959. So that's how many years? That's uh, 57, 56, 58 years. Am I right? My math there. Yeah. 58 58 years. A movie that's 58 years old is still that funny. And and you know, especially whenever you consider, oh, it's a black and white movie. It's a movie that's you know almost six decades old, but it's still funny to this day. I think you could show this movie not just to cinephiles, but to anybody. uh, And they like any just random like moviegoer after you get them over the black and white thing i think you could show them this movie and they would laugh just as hard as 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 the audiences did in the 50s i agree and you know what's funny about that too is that i feel that i mean part of the i guess what has helped the movie age as gracefully as it has is that it takes the subject matter which i mean we'll get to in a little bit and it doesn't really like make fun of it or like kind of treat it as this like real like i i mean i'm trying to come up with the right words but I mean, obviously, like, the whole, like, you know, guys dressing in drag was very taboo for the time, but, like, it doesn't treat it like it's this grotesque thing, you know? It kind of just has fun with the concept, and that's kind of what I feel has allowed it to um, just kind of live on and age well. Yeah, and, I, and now I'm sure that there, you know, that there might be people that, in today's day and age, might, might get offended, um, might get offended at the how, how you know... Uh, Men dressing up as women might be portrayed. Uh, some people might might consider it uh, transphobic. I don't think that's the case at all. I think this film, if anything, by the end is is very uh, is very open minded about uh, alternative lifestyles. Uh, Absolutely. To, but but we'll get to that. Um, so before we get too far into it, when did you first experience the film? Uh, this is a more recent one for me. I remember, uh, I believe the first time I saw it was, I happened to be at home one day and I was watching Turner classic movies and the movie that was on when I was watching it, like I was flipping the channels and I was midway through, I think Gandhi and I think Richard Attenborough had just passed away, which is why they were showing it. Mm. So I watched the second half of Gandhi because I had already seen Gandhi already. So I'm like, eh, you know, it's it's over in about an hour. I had nothing else to watch. I'll sit through Gandhi. And then the uh, the next movie, for some reason, was Some Like It Hot. So I was like, oh, I've heard a lot about this movie. Like, I have, I've read about it. I haven't seen it. You know, I got nothing else to do today. 
I'll just sit through it. And man, like, did I absolutely fall in love with this movie? Yeah, uh, I, I, that's a good way to watch it. Just kind of come going in kind of cold without any sort of preparation. That's pretty good. Um, right. I first saw it as, as a lot of the films that we've talked about on this list so far on this uh, on the show so far. I watched it through film school. Uh, it was one of the films that we watched as part of our you know introduction to cinema courses. So yeah, I, and it was funny. You know, I, I just mentioned a little bit ago how, how I think modern audiences would, would get a kick out of it. And you know, watching it in college, I mean, this would have been nineteen ninety nine two thousand era. Um, so about fifty years more or less, forty or fifty years after the movie had come out. Uh, and you know, these are jaded college kids who had seen everything at that point, you know, all the pulp fictions and things of the world. So, um, everyone in my, in my class wanted to be next Quentin Tarantino, obviously. So when you put this movie on, of course you're going to get your (laughs) eye rolls and everything, but I, within 10 minutes, everyone was laughing their, you know, uh, laughing their asses off. This is a funny movie. It's it's just one of the funniest movies ever made, if not the funniest. Um, so Real quick, let's let's go through the credits of the film. Just a, a, a big, a quick overview here. The movie was written was directed by Billy Wilder, the, the master. It was the, uh, written by Billy Wilder and IAL Diamond, starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, George Raft, and Joe E. Brown, who might be the MVP of the movie. Um, <laughs> second half, at least. Se- at least a second to Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon's the best part, I think. But Joey Brown is probably like. Like right behind him, uh, and uh, uh, so this is Billy. This is like Billy Wilder right in the middle of his like epic career. I mean, we I don't have we done we don't think we've done a Billy Wilder movie yet, have we? And we haven't, right? I don't think so. But no. I mean, just I mean this the, this guy's resume is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, uh, before he got to some like it hot, he he had already done. Let's see. He had already done Double Indemnity, uh, The Lost Weekend, uh, Sunset Boulevard, Ace in the Hole, mm-hmm. Stay Like Seventeen, Sabrina, The Seven Year Itch. Uh, what else? And then and then some a witness prosecution, Some Like It Hot, and then from there he'd go on to do The Apartment. Uh, you know, oh, love, love The Apartment. That's and, that's probably the only movie I like more than this one, as far as his resume is, is The Apartment. I absolutely adore that movie. That's a great freaking movie. So, I mean, you've already got, I mean, that's a Hall of Fame career right there. The, I mean, this, Billy Wilder, and he never, he, he I mean, he did comedy very well, but he, he did dramas, he did adventure movies, he did all sorts. He was a master filmmaker, and he never got kind of, uh, he never got, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, pigeonholed into one genre. Exactly. Like, and, and when you have somebody like that who kind of just kind of diversify, like, oh, I can do comedy, I can do, you know, drama, I can do, like, mysteries, you know, it, I mean, it, it makes for, like, you know, kind of a, just a well-balanced career. Sorry, I was taking a drink whenever you were talking. I thought you were going to talk more. Um, yeah, absolutely. Billy Wilder is, is, I think you could do an entire class on Billy Wilder and uh, and have, like, a good representation of how to make a movie just by watching his filmography. Um, so Billy Wilder uh, directed this film, wrote it with I.L. Diamond. As far as the background of this film goes, it's not, you know, we usually go into really deep background of all the movies we go. Uh, the background to this isn't really all that, in, uh, not, I don't want to say interesting, but it's not all that uh, unique, uh, unlike some of the other films we've done. It's basically... Uh, he had this idea to, you know, to do this film based on a French movie that he had seen, which is actually a remake of a German movie called 
Uh, let me see if I got this right. Fanfare of Love, which I've never seen, so it doesn't really matter. Um, right. <laughs> so it's a remake of a remake of a remake that no one ever saw. Um, so they took the concept and then remade it to an Amer- you know to an American film. Uh, him and I I L Diamond. And originally it was going to uh, star. Uh, I think Tony Curtis was always going to be in it, but originally it was going to star Frank Sinatra in the Daphne slash Jerry role, uh, which would have been insane and uh uh, i mean i can't even i can't even i can't even visualize that uh i can't i think you know like thinking contemporarily i think you know frank sinatra major would have been a major major big deal had he shown up to the audition but i guess he felt like i don't think i want to be involved with this so I think the, the the scuttlebutt is he never even showed up. Uh, and then the other one was uh, Mitzi Gaynor as uh, as Marilyn and the Marilyn World part as Sugar Cane. Well, that uh, was Billy Wilder just settling, bro. Like he was yeah. like, you know, oh, I'm never gonna get Marilyn again. So you know, well, Mitzi Gaynor, it is. I'm, that's what I'm gonna shoot for. And then when Marilyn said, "Oh, I want to do the movie," oh. It's going to be Marilyn. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, because at that point, obviously, Marilyn Monroe had blown up to be this huge icon. Uh, I think it was about five years, five or four years before then, he had done the seven-year itch with her, which was, uh, was that her real introduction? That was kind of her, I think she had done other movies before then. I know she had a part in All About, like a very small part in All About Eve. That's right. Gentleman for Blondes, I believe, was before that, wasn't it? Oh, was Gentleman for Blondes before that? I I can't remember. It might have been, but I'd have to look it up. Okay, um, and I know she's also in the Asphalt Jungle uh, in, a, in a very small yeah. role. Um, but I thought, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe she didn't. Pop, maybe she had already popped already. So it seems. So you know, by the time Some Like It Hot rolled around, she was already the mega star that she was. So it may have been. So I think that's why he didn't think he was going to get her. But obviously, she did come. He may have regretted that decision later. Um, due to some of the the stories about the filming. Oh of the boy, movie. we'll um, get to that. Um, oh yes, uh, gentlemen prefer blondes was 1953, and seven year itch was 1955. Okay, so, so yeah, actually, she had already been. Gentlemen prefer blondes was actually like her first, like that was like her big breakout. Like she had the smaller parts, like you said, like in All About Eve, Asphalt Jungle, but gentlemen prefer blondes was the first, like her first, like big breakout movie. Now was gentlemen before blondes? Is that the one with diamonds are a girl's best friend, or is that How to Marry a Millionaire? I can never get them. I think it's How to Marry a Millionaire. All right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, so so obviously she was a huge star. I mean, you know, she was. It's hard, it's kind of hard to say because we obviously you and I weren't alive back then. But she is as big as you could possibly be in in this in the entertainment industry. Uh, this Marilyn Monroe. Uh, so uh, she was already reached icon status by the time this film had come out. Uh, had, had been casting it, so that's probably why Billy Wilder was like, "Yeah, it's not happening." Um, but he did get her. Uh, and again, uh, he 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 may have he may have uh, uh, regretted that during the filming. Well, obviously, afterwards, he probably uh, he did kind of take back some of his statements because he didn't. You know, she was very good in the film, despite all the all the troubles she brought. But um, let's get let's get a little bit into that. Uh, she was notoriously, um, you know, she had gotten in, involved with the actor studio and and started getting into like method acting and and, and all sorts of stuff. And she had gotten to the point, and this was kind of detailed in that movie, My Week with Marilyn, that came out five or six years ago. Um, she had gotten to the point where she had, she had lost a lot of her uh, confidence when it came to acting, and uh, she would do 
not just multiple takes, but 10, 20, 30, 40 takes of one scene because of either her own insecurities or just messing lines up. And apparently this is rampant during this film. Uh, and on top of the fact that she was also going through some of her own personal issues, you know, with some of the demons that haunted her. And I believe um, uh, she had also gone through a recent miscarriage. So there's some depression involved too. So Marilyn Monroe, kind of a hot mess during the filming of the film. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of become like, I guess the big, uh, the big story as far as the uh, behind the scenes of this movie. You know, she would demand all these retakes because she kept forgetting her lines or jumbling her lines. And uh, I mean, God bless Billy Wilder for being able to put up with it. Like, I mean, he would like, uh, he would like kind of like make light of it and kind of make fun of it. Like years later, when he they'd ask him about, you know. Um, directing her in this movie and it, i forgot what what his famous quote was but it was it was something pretty funny it was like you know i've been with a psychiatrist or something i think they've encouraged you never to go through that again or it's just something to that i can't remember i'm paraphrasing it but um but yeah it's uh yeah she's like you said i mean to kind of take the words out of your mouth she was a hot mess during this time and i i remember reading something about how uh i think uh tony curtis and jack lemon would take bets as to like when they would actually what which take they would actually she would actually get it right. So that's kind of a that's kind of a that's kind of a funny story. Yeah, and apparently the the worst the worst offender of the of the takes was a very simple scene where all she's supposed to say is it's me, sugar. Sugar. But it took her forty seven takes to get it right. Yes, forty seven <laughs> takes, bro, for three words. <laughs> because she keeps saying it's sugar, me, or sugar, it's me, or whatever. Me. <laughs> and then when she'd get in, she's supposed to say, Where's the bourbon? But he'd say, Where's the whiskey? or where's the bottle? or whatever. So she keeps screwing it up. So so much so that they had to like uh tape uh, uh, the the lines like they did with Marlon Brando and The Godfather in different places that she would just see them and read them out loud instead of instead of trying to remember. Nice, them. Um, but uh, and, and apparently that took forty seven takes just for that one scene, uh, <laughs> which is and which is kind of great. So at, at one point, you know, and I think on the the Blu Ray that I bought, I think that it was Tony Curtis that was telling the story. And he was saying that during that film, during the film of that scene, at a certain point, people were just wondering, why doesn't he just dub it in later? You know? Uh, but he's kind of. I would have done. I wouldn't have <laughs> had the patience for that. And I, I mean, people tell me I have the patience of a saint, but like when it comes to stuff like this, I don't know. Like after like the 20 take, I would have been like, we're just dubbing this. Like, I don't have time for this anymore. And, and, so. I, and again, uh, I, I, I do believe it was Tony Curtis telling the story. And someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe it was him. That, so I, I'm, I'm attributing this to is that after a certain point, uh, he thinks that it was just Billy Wilder. Like, I'm just going to win this fight. I'm going to, I don't care. I'm going to win this and I'm going to make her do it right. <laughs> so uh, it might've just been more of the, the principle of the thing, you know, that, I guess as it so, was, but, yeah. Um, but uh, but it's kind of a and, and you know one one th now over the years Tony Curtis has kind of walked back his kind of resentment and Jack Lemmon has never said anything uh, kind of bad about Marilyn Monroe he always he very he always kind of talked about her very uh, complimentary uh, Tony Curtis was a little more I think affected by it um, but it, you know even in more retrospective interviews he he was a lot kinder about it uh, but he did but he did you know one of the things that he was uh, very annoyed about was that they basically. Uh, Lemon and Curtis basically had to be perfect every single take because the take that Marilyn finally got right 
would be the take that they would use. So if it's right. on take 30, you know, their performances at that point are probably going to be a little more diminished because they've been doing it 30 different times. Uh, but that's the one they're going to use because Marilyn kept screwing it up. So I think Tony, right. so I think Tony Curtis took like uh, a, not offense, but he he took umbrage with that because he you know he was doing his job, and then obviously if you're going to do thirty takes of something by take ten even you're going to be kind of worn out and and not wanting you know and it's not going to be as good as it was the first couple times. So uh, I think he kind of that that was one of the thing he he resented about the film. But hey, it turned out okay, right? The film turned out great. Um, and when you watch it and you don't know that backstory, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting because she's, she seems so perfect in in the film. So, uh, and everyone seems on point. So it seems odd. It, it seems kind of like, wow, they actually probably did like 10, 20 takes of this stuff because it was, you know, because of Marilyn. But, uh, you know, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the thing about that too. Like, you know, you read those stories and you hear about all that, that went on and then you watch the movie and then it hits you, and it's like, how can like how like it's almost like you question it, like how can that be it with you know Marilyn is on point, you know she's, I mean near as near perfect as she can be, you know Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, their timings perfect, their lines are their line delivery is perfect, like everything is perfect, and you you know you can't tell that that's probably like take forty or take fifty or whatever that they were on and. You know, you just, you just can't see it in their faces, which is just true professionalism, in my opinion. Yeah, and and the thing is, to give Marilyn her due, you know, a lot of people kind of look back on her career. They don't give her a lot of credit uh, for, uh, for for being an actress. A lot of people think she did kind of the dumb blonde uh, kind of character trope, right? And to, to, to a certain point, she did. Um, but I think what, what she really captured in almost all the films that I've seen with her, I haven't seen her complete filmography, but I've seen a good portion of it. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of the films she's done, especially this one, she does have kind of a real good way of, even though she's the dumb blonde, she has a good way of kind of bringing out empathy in the audience. And I think that only really a good actress could do that. Um, and I'm not going to say that she was like the greatest actress of her generation. Obviously she got, she got uh, a lot of to where she was because of her massive sex appeal, but, um, she wasn't, uh, she was better actress than people give her credit for. Yes. Like very few people have like that it factor where they just kind of have that charisma to just draw people in. I mean, yeah, you can argue that part of it was because of her looks, but I mean, and every all all those classic movies that she did, she just kind of radiated the screen, and she had that charisma that just you couldn't just look away. She just pulled you in, not just with her looks, but with just her character and and her performance. Yeah, and and not just that, but she was funny. Like you have Jack Lemmon and and, and Tony Curtis kind of chewing on scenery here, and she. I mean, at least in the, in the takes that they used, she was she had good timing. She had good comedic timing there. So she she really she was a good comedic actress, and you know she she does deserve more credit. Uh, she, and she was you know th- and this is probably I think I mean looking at the movies I've seen, this has to be to me her best film um, that I've seen of hers. Certainly, I've seen a couple. I've seen Gentlemen Prefer Blonde and How to Marry a Millionaire and. Um, so, uh, the Seven Year Itch, which she's really more of a uh, supporting role, uh, and that's the movie that you have the iconic uh, uh, st- steam over the over the white dress shot. You know <laughs> yes. um, that you know that that movie is uh, also directed by Billy Wilder. Uh, but I think she this is this is probably her best performance and, and her best film. 
I agree to an extent. I mean, I love her in this movie, absolutely. But uh, personally, I think her best performance was in The Misfits. Like, just overall performance. That one, like, that's a that's a great film. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but that's a classic, classic movie. And I think her in that movie was probably the, the best Marilyn Monroe I've seen. But this is a very close second. I will say that I'm gonna I'm gonna commit a uh, a little bit of a confession here. I've not seen the Misfits. Really? Yeah, that one has slipped through the cracks for me, and I have not gotten around to that one. Yeah, that one that one's pretty uh pretty legendary because I mean it's the last film of of I think both of them it was Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable. Like I think they both passed shortly after, and then uh, Montgomery Cliff too, I believe, passed right right after that movie. So like all three of those people like died right after. So. Now Montgomery Clift. Um, now, now we're really getting this. I thought I know he had some. He was in a. Um, he he had been in a like uh, like an accident that kind of screwed up his face, like in the early sixties. Um, I'm not sure if that's if that was his last movie, but it may have been his last movie. He got it before he got into his accident, and because there's a movie like late that he did late in his life that um, that was his last movie that like you could tell like he because his face is partially like uh partially paralyzed and things like that so i'm not sure if it was his last movie but i think it was his last movie before he got he got in that accident the last one before the accident uh let me see i'm i'm looking up his uh filmography right now because the accident was in 62 no not it was 56 i'm sorry it was in 1956 oh really yes oh i'm uh, way off then uh, let me see. Uh, fifty three. He did from here to eternity. I think that's the last one before the accident. Okay. Because then it says it jumps to fifty seven. So that's post accident. So. Oh, Rain Tree County. I think that's the movie that with his Rain Tree County. That while he was movie. filming that, that's when he got into the accident. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That is the movie. Yeah. So he actually didn't. Re- I actually didn't realize he had a bit because he was in Judgment Nuremberg. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, which is a great movie. So he had, he still worked for about ten years after that. I didn't actually realize that. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, Judgment Nuremberg. That's a great movie. We should get to that someday. Um, is it on the? Is it in the Tumblr or the Ram or whatever? I think it is. I haven't actually checked what's uh, if it's in there yet, but I think it is in there. All right. So let, let's get a little. We're not going to go uh, beat by beat of the plot. I'm just going to kind of go quick overview of it. Uh, so basically, uh, the film is about two guys. Uh, Joe, uh, Joey. Uh, sorry, I almost said Joey Brown. <laughs> Joe and Jerry, uh, who are two kind of uh, bum musicians that are kind of going from gig to gig. Um, when we first meet them, they are playing a, at a speakeasy uh, in Chicago in the 1920s. This all takes place in the 1920s. Um, uh, around the era of Prohibition, whenever gangsters were ruling Chicago and and, 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 and uh, running booze and everything. So they raided the joint, so they can't work at the speakeasy anymore, and they, they go back to their kind of... And it's like an agency to find musicians' work, right? Uh, and they 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 talk to like uh, at, you know you, we find out that he's kind of uh, that Joe, who's the Tony Curtis character, uh, is uh, is kind of a womanizer, and he's uh, he's kind of dated one of the one of the girls in the office, and then she is revenge on is like, oh, there's some there's a new gig. Why don't you go in and ask about it? And it turns out it's for an all girl band, um, and they talk to the. Uh, to the to the agent, the music manager, the agent. I'm not sure what you call that job, but the guy who like finds you know finds these people. Yeah, and is like the most stereotypically Jewish character I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> nice. So this is I think where, where we get one of the great uh, exchanges of of the uh, of the uh, as far as comedy goes, where he goes, uh, he's like, uh, he's trying to like not say exactly why 
why uh, why they they're not good for the good for the band. He's like, uh, you have to be a natural blonde. Oh, we can dye our hair. Uh, what's the other thing? He said you have to do something else. So oh, we can do that. And he's like, and you have to be a girl. And then Jack Lemmon goes, oh, we can. And Tony goes, oh no, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such good comic delivery. I mean, I can't do it justice, but it's it's one of those movies that. Um, when you just think of, there's just so many funny moments. Um, so then we get, uh, you know, through another series of circumstances, a little too convoluted to get into. Uh, they have to go on the run from the mob because they witnessed the, the St. Valentine's Day massacre, which is a real event, um, that happened in Chicago, uh, on Clark street, which is close to where I work. Um, but it's a real nice. event that, that happened, uh, that happened where, um, you know, some gangsters got gunned down. They witness it, and then the, the mob is after them, so they decide to dress up as girls, go on the road with uh, Sweet Sue's band as a bassist and a, uh, what is what is sax. And a tenor sax. How do they walk in these things, huh? How do they keep their balance? It must be the way the weight is distributed. Now, come on. It is so drafty. They must be catching cold all the time, huh? Will you quit stalling? We're going to miss the train. I feel naked. I feel like everybody's staring at me. With those legs, are you crazy? Now, come on. Um, of course, they, 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 of course, at this point, this is where the hilarity ensues. They're dressed up like women in an all-girls band. They meet uh, Sugar Cane, who is the... Uh, who is the Marilyn Monroe Sugar character? Sugar Cane, bro. Sugar Cane is a great name. Uh, I mean, that's that's what gets to me right now. <laughs> and isn't she like Polish or something? I like get Sugar like Sugar Kowalski or yeah, something. something like, like that's that. like her real name. Yeah. Um. Then while they they go they they go down to Miami for for a gig. While they're there, um, Joe decides to uh, Joe decides to. Uh, trick sugar that into thinking he's a millionaire uh and uh because she had mentioned offhand that she wants to marry a millionaire um and by stealing some clothes and putting on some glasses and talking like Cary grant um and uh you know he tricks her to you know into be into falling in love with him uh and then while he's pulling that on her uh jerry has to kind of uh Fend away the advances of a dirty old man played by Joey Brown, um, and then while Osgood the, Fielding the third, yeah. well, I'm Cinderella the second. May I help yourself? I'm Osgood Fielding the third. I'm Cinderella the second. If there's one thing I admire, it's a girl with a shapely ankle. <laughs> Me too. Bye bye. Let me carry one of the instruments. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Aren't you a sweetheart? Certainly is delightful having young blood around here. Oh, it's, well, personally, I'm type O. You know, I've always been fascinated by show business. Oh, is that so? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's cost my family quite a bit of money. Oh, you invest in shows? Showgirls. <laughs> I've been married seven or eight times. You're not sure? Mama's keeping score. Frankly, she's getting rather annoyed with me. Wouldn't wonder. So this year, when the George White scandal's open, she packed me off to Florida. Right now, she thinks I'm out there on my yacht. <laughs> Deep sea fishing. <laughs> well, pull in your reel, Mr. Fielding. You're barking up the wrong fish. <laughs> if I promise not to be a naughty boy, how about dinner tonight? I'm sorry, I'll be on the bandstand. Oh, of course. Wh which of these instruments do you play? Bull fiddle. Oh, 
Fascinating. Do you use a bow or do you just pluck it? Most of the time, I slap it. <laughs> you must be quite a girl. <laughs> Want a bet? <laughs> My last wife was an acrobatic dancer. Oh. You know, sort of a contortionist. Mm. She could smoke a cigarette while holding it between her toes. Zowie. <laughs> but Mama broke it up. Why? She doesn't approve of girls who smoke. Bye-bye, Mr. Fielding. Bye-bye. This is where I get off. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You don't get off that easy. <laughs> All right, driver. Once around the park, slowly. And keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> Classic, bro. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, more ant more funny antics to see whether they're there. And then... As we, then, of course, because this is Hollywood and, and all things have to happen like this, the gangsters that were looking for them just so happened to be in town for the quote-unquote <laughs> Italian opera lovers convention. Opera. Friends of Italian opera. That's like, if that's not a giveaway cover, like, I don't know what it is. Uh, the guy named Spats Columbo, which is such a great gangster Spats, name. Bro. Spats yeah. Columbo. Um, and, he, and, uh, and, and I love the fact that they cast George Raft, who was in the original Scarface for this movie, too. Yes. <laughs> um, Alpha. Um, and, of course, they, they, they know, Spats Columbo and his, and his goons kind of realize what's going on. And then they kind of, uh, you know, go after the, the two guys and they, are, they go on the run again. And then, of course, everything ends up in a big, in a big uh, uh, happy ending with everyone getting together and... You know, we'll get to the ending later, but that's the that's the the overall part, plot of the film. Exactly. I mean, like we've already talked about some of our favorite lines. <laughs> soon as I the second thing, like cracked me up so hard, and then you brought up the uh, the scene in the uh, talent agency. Like, there's some really good stuff here. Like, I I love the uh, I love the scene where they're uh, they're going back and forth between the yacht and then the tango. <laughs> so because you oh see, my god. That you is see Rick and Tony Curtis making out with Marilyn Monroe, and then on the other side you have freaking Jack Lemmon doing a tango with with Joey Brown, and it's like, like you can you can tell like on like the character on his face, like he's like, oh screw this guy, I can't believe he has me sitting in with this old man, you know, and then he's making out with the girl, like. <laughs> Like screw this, you know. Like just to look on it, he didn't even have any lines. Just to look on his face is like, damn him, you know. <laughs> awesome, bro. The, the the best part, I think, the best part of the whole sequence. You're right that that cutting back and forth between t uh, Tony Curtis putting the moves on Marilyn and then uh, Jack Lemmon and uh, doing the tango with with <laughs> with Joey Brown is, you know, they cut back like first he's like, you know, they're just dancing like a regular dance, and he goes. And Austin's like, you're leading again. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. And then, which is, which is funny enough, right? But then at the very end of that sequence, whenever, whenever they do the tango and they do the, the, the transfer of the rose, you know? The and, rose. Then, and then you just, and you flip, and then you see Jerry's face. Jack Lemmon, Jack Lemmon's not even doing anything special with his face. He's just deadpan look on his face. And it's so freaking hilarious, hilarious. to see him. Take take the rose out of his mouth and like just look straight at the camera like that. And then right afterwards, bro, what happened? I'm engaged. Congratulations. Who's the lucky girl? I am. <laughs> <laughs> bro, man. Oh. What a great movie, man. Oh, I love that. I love that film. And then, all of this still works. That's what's so amazing. Like, all of this is still funny. Like, I mean, I've made this comparison before, whether it was on this show, whether it was on Force Respective, I don't remember, but. 
certain movies, like, I mean, everybody seems to like Caddyshack. I really don't. Like, the jokes aren't really that funny. I mean, I don't know if maybe it's just they, they haven't aged well for me, but, like, I mean, Rodney Dangerfield is funny, but, like, the Chevy Chase stuff, the Bill Murray stuff is just, like, kind of eh. Like, I mean, maybe it's just me. Like, I, maybe I did something wrong with me. But, I mean, for me, like, Caddyshack didn't really age well, in my opinion. But, like, something like this, like, this is, like, the, this is, like, true legendary status. Because you have humor from, like, what is it now? Like, what do you say? Like, like 58 years? And it's still, like, it's still, like, belly laughter, you know? Yeah, um... <laughs> Uh, you know, Caddyshack, I love Caddyshack, but it might, I mean, I can see what you're saying where some of the humor might not translate or might not, might not have held up as well. I can see that argument. I, I guess it's to me, it's the, that film is a film I grew up with. So I have a lot of nostalgia for it. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't know. I Maybe I can see you. I can see your point, but, but to me. To me, Caddyshack always holds up. Right. Um, so I love I love the fact that um, the thing that I loved about this film is uh, you have uh, when when they finally you know when it was originally Jerry's idea to like pose as women and then and Joe was the one was like no we're not doing that and he's like we call some Josephine <laughs> and Geraldine so but then later when they're at the train station they introduce themselves to to Sweet Sue he's like he's like I'm Josephine and then Jerry goes I'm Daphne. <laughs> I lose it, when go, and, then, and then and then it's it's funny because because Tony Curtis has this very very subtle reaction to that, like what the like Daphne, like, where did you get that? Like from? really? Like we're <laughs> I thought you were Geraldine, but I just like like and I'm Daphne. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Jack Lemmon is the MVP of this movie. I think he did get an Oscar nomination for the film. Uh, I think for supporting actor, which was well deserved. Uh, he should have won, in my opinion, because he's hilarious. I wonder who won. Let me just look this up, because because I have to see who beat him out for supporting actor. Yeah, um, like Daphne. Like, well, I never did like the name Geraldine. <laughs> oh no, sorry, it wasn't supporting. It was actor in a lead role. So let's see who won. So who beat him? Yeah, let's see who won. Uh, Fifty nine. Oh, uh, yeah, I can see why it was this. This is the Ben Hur year, so Charlton Heston beat him. Oh, okay. There, now there you go. That's like I'm sorry. All due respect to Mr. Charlton Heston, and that's a great film and everything. But some like it hot, like Jack Lemmon's performance is way, way better than better than Charlton Heston's in this film. And they're different performances, though, right? Because this is more of a comedic one, and, and Ben Hurd is more of an action picture. But still, uh, it, it, it's a more memorable one. I mean, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, Jack Lemmon is the MVP. Like, I can't, I, I don't want to like just sit here and quote all his lines because he would, cause it, cause it would kind of get tiresome to do that. But he, he every, every, like, it's funny because he just goes, he just goes with it as far as playing a girl. Like, he just is like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and he goes full force into it. And, um, except for the part when they're on the train and all the girls are, when he's trying to have that conversation with Sugar. And, you better put on the lights. I can't see what I'm doing. No lights. We don't want them to know we're having a party. <laughs> but I need spills. So spill it. Spills, thrills, laughs, and games. <laughs> this may even turn out to be a surprise party. What's a surprise? Uh-oh. Not yet. When? Better have a drink first. That'll put hair on your chest. No fair guessing. <laughs> and, and, and here's the other thing, too. Like, it seems... The the way I, the way it was structured, 
like the first half of their plan, I guess when they were on the train, it seems like both of them, like, you know, Jerry and, uh, and Joe, they're fighting over sugar, essentially. Like they're kind of competing over her. But then when they get to Florida, like, Jerry just is kind of like, eh, you know what, let, like, let him, let him have her. You know, I guess because cause he has Osgood to worry about at this point, and he's trying to, like, to avoid him, so he doesn't really focus on sugar anymore. Because, when you, you know, once they get to Florida, it's like just, you know, Joe going after sugar, and, like, Jerry kind of just stopped trying <laughs> at that point. Exactly. Um, yeah, he, he's, you're right, it does kind of, uh, kind of slip to, to the point where he's just, you know, trying to fend off Osgood for the entire movie. Uh, yeah. And Joey Brown, man, Joey Brown plays such a perfect dirty old man in this film. Yeah. So, and it really caught my attention this time around. So obviously there's a lot of, um, a lot of issues that we could talk about that relate to modern day, uh, to modern day issues, certainly like the uh issues dealing with transgender issues is very prevalent issues dealing with homosexuality is very prevalent um but what i what i what i caught this time around is also uh just the kind of just the general treatment of women by men in this film uh, is also very i don't know if they originally intended to do that but the way that these guys are now like being objectified uh in a way like that um uh, that women are were objectified, especially Tony Curtis, who was who was the guy who did objectify women. Uh, I'm not Tony Curtis, but the character, um, yeah, uh, who did objectify women. Uh, it, it's just interesting. Like I never, I never caught that all the other time this up, but in this film, I was like, oh, that they're actually kind of doing something here, intentional or not. They're doing something with, with like this, the setup. Like, what is that? What is Jerry doing the entire film other than like fending off the advances of some dirty old man? And even <laughs> and even uh, Tony Curtis's character, uh, even Joe, has to fend off that like creepy bellboy who's always trying to get in, into the in, yes. the in his bedroom. Um, it, it's it's just I don't know. I, I for whatever reason it always flew over my head whenever I watched it. But now I when I watch this, I'm like, oh look at that! I never I never caught that before. Yeah, nowadays it seems like, you know, something that's always in your face. Like, I think BuzzFeed every now and then does a video like, oh, what would happen if, like, girls cat called guys or something? Like, e like every now and then, like, you'll see a video like that now, like, on Facebook or whatever. But, like, seeing it at this time, contemporarily, 1959, you know, kind of this role reversal where, like, it's the guy getting objectified. Sure, he's just like a woman, but he's now kind of in that role where he's getting objectified by, by a man. And it's, you know... It was interesting. It really makes you think at that point, like, oh, maybe, and then kind of, you know, kind of treading the line, your your line of thought you're going at here. Like, maybe they were trying to say something. Maybe it was unintentional, but maybe they were trying to kind of maybe give a kind of a critique or kind of maybe just a showcase. That, like, listen, you know, women get objectified and, you know, you probably don't notice it because you're a guy, but like, look how, look how, look at it from the, from the side of the woman, you know, and very is there's very definitely very interesting when you think about it yeah absolutely um it, it's just something that i never really noticed until this time i, I mean i always noticed the um the, the kind of homosexual uh, undercurrents that this had uh, but um i mean that's that's pretty blatant but that that one that one for whatever reason it never caught me until just this time um but uh so then we also have um what I think is funny, not funny, but what I think is interesting about this movie is that it's kind of a half of a gangster movie. And even yes. though it's a full-on comedy, like, the gangster scenes 
are pretty brutal. Like, especially the one of the Satan Valentine's Day massacre scene is a is a violent scene. Like you see, like you see blood on the corpses, which is something you never really saw before, or at least not something you saw typically, right? Like when you see them all like laid out, all the all the all the gangsters laid out on the floor, you see like them full of bullet holes and like blood uh, on their bodies. Uh, it, that's something that I, it's it, and it's a it's a it's a scene with stakes, right? Like they they are in legitimate they, these two guys are in legitimate danger. Now they're being funny about it. They're like especially Jack, they're they're hamming it up and stuff, but. If they get caught, like, they're in danger. And, you know, by the end of the film, when they're running away from the gangsters again, they're, you know, it's not just like, oh, it's a comedy, they're in trouble. It's like, no, they're in trouble. They gotta get out of there. <laughs> and what's, what makes it, like, funny is not so much the situation, because, I mean, they are in a dangerous situation at that point. They gotta run away from the gangsters. But I think what softens the mood is the score. Again, right. the trumpet like thump da 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 You know, like it's you take the sense of danger and you kind of calm the crowd down, and you see them running away from these guys while that music is playing. It's just, you know, it's just it's hilarious. I love that, and you know, there's stuff in there that shouldn't work. Like if you saw it, like it, it, when you think about it and you write it down, you're like, that's dumb. But when you see it, it's just hilarious. Like when they are running away from the gangsters in the in the club, uh, in the at the end in the in the the beach resort, whatever it is. Um, you see, you know, they, they at one point they steal some clothes in a wheelchair, and you see them like walking in like regular men's clothes. But then, but then they turn around, like whenever the gangsters are looking, they get past them. But then one of them just happens to look, and and Jack Lemmon is still wearing the high heels. His heels, yeah. Like, we, of course, of course, you 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 would notice that you're not supposed yeah, to. You come know, on, bro! But like, it's really, still yeah. hilarious to see. Like, it's still pretty funny. Um. And, but you know what I think is funny is George Raft, who plays uh, Spats Columbo. I mean, his goons certainly. Um, I think his goons are certainly uh, uh, comedic, but he isn't really. He's he pretty much plays a straight. Straight, yeah, that's true. Um, but I I do love that he's kind of uh, he's kind of flanked by. Uh, I mean, for first of all, George Raft was a was a very famous actor, and he was also in a he was in a lot of the early. Um, he was in a lot of the early uh, uh, gangster movies of the, the 30s and 40s, most specifically in Scarface. Uh, I think he played uh, Ronaldo in Scarface. Um, right. uh, the original, obviously, not the, not the Tony Montana version, um, <laughs> but the original Scarface of Paul Mooney. Uh, what I think is funny is that and this is something that I like. I have to have like the trivia point out to me, is that uh, there's a point whenever they're at the hotel and uh, he, he's, you know, the the guy who eventually kills him out of the cake, uh, he's like flipping a coin. He's like, "Cute trick, where'd you learn that?" And this is a trick that he was doing in Scarface with the flip. Scarface, flip. yes. <laughs> um, well, apparently, but, I, I, the the scuttlebutt too is that George Raft uh, is a pretty good tango dancer himself. Actually, yes. he's the one that spent that. Uh, he, he taught Jack Lemon and Joey Brown how to tango for for that scene. So I think that's pretty hilarious too. That that he like I I want to see the footage of that if there exists, just to see George Raft teaching Jack Lemon and Joey Brown how to tango. That just seems funny, right? Oh God, bro. <laughs> uh, who's the lucky girl? Just I imagining it is, is, is hilarious. Um, so, <laughs> The, the, to take a side trip, because I want to go back to this gangster thing, but to, the the scene afterwards, a, after that night, where he's like, I'm engaged. And like, who's the lucky girl? 
I am. I am. <laughs> and he starts playing with the maracas. What I think is interesting is that that scene got such a laugh the the first time during like test audiences or whatever that they had to go back and refilm some of the some some stuff in there to add more pauses because the the the, the audience was laughing over lines because they were still laughing at the, yes. at the at the maracas and the who's the that makes girl sense. I am. Um but the whole, but the film was filled with some like classic gangster character, like uh, uh bro. Pat- you, I think we forgot this. The the, I think we forgot like the the one line from that uh, from that scene, bro. Like there was a couple, there's some like gems in that scene. But what about this one? Remember where he goes? But you're not a girl. You're a guy. And why would a guy want to marry a guy? <laughs> yeah, security. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep telling yourself, and I love, I love the, uh, I love the, um, the, the, the turnaround, right? Whenever he's on the train and he's trying to tell Jack Lemon to like that he can't like hook up with Sugar or anything because he's trying to like they have to pass for girls. Like keep telling yourself, you're a girl, you're a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, and then like later on, whenever after he the does scene, the after, yeah, he, at the end, uh, uh, no, not even then, but like in the same scene after the engagement, and he's like, why would a guy want to marry another guy? And he goes, just keep telling yourself. You're a boy. You're a boy. You're a boy. You're a boy. <laughs> I'm a boy. <laughs> He's so dejected. He's like, oh. <laughs> he takes off his wig, throws like, yeah, I'm a boy. <laughs> Everything under control? Have I got things to tell you? What happened? I'm engaged. Congratulations. Who's the lucky girl? I am. <laughs> Osgood proposed to me. We're planning a June wedding. <laughs> what are you talking about? You can't marry Osgood. You think he's too old for me? Jerry, you can't be serious. Why not? He keeps marrying girls all the time. But you're not a girl, you're a guy. And why would a guy want to marry a guy? Security. Jerry, you better lie down. You're not well. Will you stop treating me like a child? I'm not stupid. I know there's a problem. I'll say there is. His mother. We need her approval. But I'm not worried because I don't smoke. (laughs) Jerry, there's another problem. Like what are you going to do on your honeymoon? We've been discussing that. He wants to go to the Riviera, but I kind of lean towards Niagara Falls. Jerry, you're out of your mind. How are you going to get away with this? I don't expect it to last, Joe. I'll tell him the truth when the time comes. Like when? Like right after the ceremony. Oh. Then we get a quick annulment. He makes a nice settlement on me, and I keep getting those alimony checks every month. Jerry, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. There are laws, conventions. It's just not being done. Shh, Joe. This may be my last chance to marry a millionaire. Jerry, huh? Jerry, will you take my advice? Forget about the whole thing, will you? Just keep telling yourself you're a boy. You're a boy. I'm a boy. That's the boy. Oh, I'm a boy. I'm a, I'm a boy. I'm a, I wish I were dead. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. Oh, boy, am I a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then... Like, what mess have I gotten himself into now? <laughs> Uh, but I mean, right there, I mean, that, that line, why would a boy want to marry another boy? Obviously in 1959, that's hilarious. In 2017, it's not funny at all. It's like, yeah, 
like the, well, that, that, that why not the, right? whatever right <laughs> but i mean that's the kind of thing that like it, it you know it's not meant to to mock that lifestyle but it's it is funny how uh how much society has changed and like you can imagine people like in the in the fifties. That's such an alien concept to them for a guy, and it's hilarious for a guy to want to marry another guy, right? But again, and I don't want to I don't want to spoil the line yet. But when we get when you get to that end, you find out that it's a lot. The movie's a lot more accepting than you might might have realized. Now um, remember, this is this is also like not to cut you off, but I just remembered that. I mean, you did mention this takes place in nineteen twenty nine in Chicago, right? And do you remember the scene at the beginning, or like. You know, I think they're still at the at the speakeasy where Joe goes to Jerry and goes like, you know, what are you worried about? This shop's going to last forever or like a long time or something. And he goes like, well, what if it doesn't? And he goes like, Jerry boy, why do you have to paint everything so black? Suppose he got hit by a truck. Suppose the stock market crashes. <laughs> yeah. Suppose Mary Pickford divorces Douglas Fairbanks. Suppose the Dodgers leave Brooklyn. <laughs> Suppose like Michigan overflows. <laughs> you know, that ended up happening. For yeah, I love that. <laughs> And I love their they're so good at their their comedic thing is so good because then after Jerry's like he's like well you know I forget what he says but he says basically well look there's a cop here we got to get going and then once they realize the cop is I mean he doesn't actually say that but he says something funnier um, once they realize that the cops are about to raid the joint they very calmly stop. And they start putting away their instruments. Well, start away calmly <laughs> walking out the door. It's like so. This the yeah. way they're. It's again. It's not. I mean, as much as as Jack Lemon goes over the top and a lot of the stuff that is hilarious. Just the subtle humor of just them like just stopping and playing. We're just gonna put our instruments away. We're gonna walk out very slowly. No one's gonna notice. That in itself was hilarious. The way they were yes. doing that, I think, and that, you know, that's that's something like you know people talk about Jack Lemon a lot, but Tony Curtis doesn't it doesn't get enough to do in this film either because you know he he's I mean he is hilarious in this film too. It's just Jack Lemon is always kind of stealing the scene at the moment. But I mean his Tony Curtis or his uh his uh Cary Grant impression is just like. <laughs> When I first saw the movie, I had I hadn't like I didn't have like the, the the you know the the background in classic films that I have now, so I didn't really like I kind of I think probably knew who Cary Grant was, but I never like put two and two together. So that, like the second or third time I watched the movie, I was like, oh, he's doing Cary Grant. Like it's so obviously Cary Grant. It's not even. It's like the most obvious Cary Grant impression you could ever do. And, it's just, <laughs> uh, and apparently, uh, Cary Grant had a good record, uh, sense of humor about that. Like whenever they uh, question him about, it, he's like, oh, I don't talk like that. I don't talk like that. <laughs> I can't even do. I can't even do a proper Cary Grant impression because it's such a weird. It's such a weird. I don't know if you call it an accent, but whatever. What it, like uh, affectation, cadence? I don't know what it is, but no one talks like that. Why did he talk like that? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but anyway, I do love how the film is just filled with. The, I mean, it is a gangster film as well, as well as a comedy. I love. You know, we mentioned Jared Raft. It also had Pat O'Brien as the cop, uh, who I don't understand how he had jurisdiction. How a Chicago cop had jurisdiction down in Miami, but whatever. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he was in like all some some, uh, some gangster movies. I think uh, Angels with Dirty Faces is one of his early ones. Um, you had. Mike Mazurki, who is a guy that you see all over those kind of movies. He's the big, he was like the big kind of lumbering, uh, kind of, just the big one that's like, whenever he's there in the elevator, he's like, he's like, what room are you gals in? And then he, and he like, steals their keys, like, 403, I'll be seeing you later. 
<laughs> like that guy, he's all over. Like if you look up his filmography, he's like in hundreds of movies. He was all over the 30s and 40s in like gangster movies and stuff. I think the most um, makes sense. I think the most um, uh, the one that I'd seen most recently that I saw him in because I saw this one and then I saw uh, some like a hot almost right afterward just by chance was a movie called uh, Murder My Sweet, which is a noir from the 40s where he's his character is a lot more menacing and a lot more straight it's like a straight character it's not a comedic role um but but uh it's just funny it's like oh it's that guy again he's all over gangster movies but yeah it's a i do love the the kind of blending of genres there so one kind of interesting note about this film is that uh marilyn monroe i almost said marilyn manson jesus (laughs) Marilyn, (laughs) marilyn monroe uh Apparently wanted to have the film shot in, in color because all her all her contracts stipulated that all her films should be shot in color. But Billy Wilder pushed for this to be in black and white uh, for two reasons. One was because of the gangster element; like he kind of wanted it, kind of like a throwback to those old days. But also because yeah, yeah. the makeup of the Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon just wasn't believable in in color, so they had to shoot it in black and white. Exactly, and and that's 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 one of the points I wanted to bring up too. That uh, you know, uh, the scuttlebutt is that they just if you put the film in color, they just look so grotesque, and they can never pass as women. You know, if you really see it in full color, that you know they they opted to do the black and white, which I think you know what, Mr. Wilder, that was probably the smart move. You know, I mean, yeah, you wanted to go with the noir type of vibe with the black and white because it was kind of a gangster movie, but you know, I think. The black and white was the the right move as far as like helping uh, Jerry and Joe pass his women more effectively. I think. Yeah, and I, I love this story that was told multiple times in some of the special features I watched on the Blu-ray about how um, you know the Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon were you know applying their makeup and like getting ready in like the girls' bathroom of the studio, and then they were not going to tell anybody who they were, and they because they were trying to pass women, right? And then like you know they were in the in the girls' bathroom and they were. You know, doing their makeup, and they're like, okay, no one's saying anything. No one's trying to kick us out. I think we, I think we got this. And they were so confident in how they looked. And they said, and then they ran into someone coming into the bathroom. And like, oh hi, Mr. Curtis. <laughs> it's like they totally, they're totally not believable at all. <laughs> right. Um, That's a great story. <laughs> and then there's another story on that DVD. And this, I'm gonna get a little, a little R-rated here. Um, but, uh, we, we might have to bleep it out, but there, there's a, that Tony Curtis, it's a, kind of an urban legend and I don't know if it's true, but this is, Tony Curtis says it's true about how he was in like a costume fitting, uh, for, for the, for the women's clothes. And, uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe at during this, during the shot there, during this, uh, the shoot was a little bigger than usual. She had just been pregnant. Uh, so she was a little more, shall we say, voluptuous than usual. Um, and she I did already, notice that by the way. I was going to. And, and, and I mean, and she was already pretty voluptuous as it was, right? Uh, but then, you know, I guess the costume designer was measuring them, and he was measuring Tony Curtis, and they went to measure Marilyn, and then, like, kind of in a a dick move, in my opinion, the costume designer says, "Gee, Marilyn, uh, Tony has a better ass than you do," and then she turns around and then opens her blouse and says, "Yeah, but I got better." T- Tony does. Oh, nice. Which is, I mean, first of all, why would you say that? That's so mean, right? <laughs> yeah, they should just left well enough alone on that one. <laughs> uh, well, this, uh, but it's it's a pretty funny story. Again, I don't know how true it is, but I mean, Tony Curtis was. There's a couple interviews in the on the Blu-ray where Tony Curtis said that I think two or three times. So uh, it, 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 if it's not true, it's a good story. 
Um, yeah, exactly. Even if it's not true, they'll let facts in the way of good story. So. Uh, and it's also speaking of um, some other interesting facts I found out about the film. Uh, another person that was originally offered the role was Jerry Lewis uh, for Daphne. But apparently he didn't want to dress in drag uh, because, you know, it was a lot more taboo to do so back then. Um, and... Of course, Jack Lemmon went on to kill it and crush the role, and he got an Oscar nomination. So Jerry Lewis apparently claims that he sent uh, Jack Lemmon's chocolates every year to thank him, and now regrets not taking the part. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I think Jerry Lewis would have ruined this movie. I mean, I, and I, I am not a fan of the whole Jerry Lewis thing he was doing back then. Like, I can't do that, that whole, hey, ladies. Like, I can't. That whole thing is just not funny to me like i don't get it like i i don't understand like do you remember when you were growing up and jim carrey became huge right yeah like, i remember I people like my parents age were like looking at jim carrey like i don't get it this is stupid like he's a clown he's not funny you know and now i get what they like when i look at jay lewis that's what i think of people who must have thought of who looked at jim carrey the way they did you know like because i just don't i don't see the funny in my opinion I mean, do you have you ever seen Jerry Lewis movies? Like, I don't get it. Uh, I think the only one I've seen is the original Nutty Professor, and I mean, I, I mean, he was funny in that, but like nothing like, you know, I, I, I see it's like it's that. See, here, here's the thing with me, like with Jerry Lewis, like everybody, like you know, when you you read up on him, like he's very, held in very high regard, but it's like, you know, it's I guess it's not enough for me to actually go out and actually see his his material. Like, I only saw one just because I was curious, but like. You know, there's there's not really a demand, at least on my personal part, to actually dig up some Jerry Lewis stuff because to me, it, it's he's just eh, you know. So that's that's just that's just my opinion, though. Now I can't believe that I have to be the one who has to say this because I figured you would have brought you would have brought it up uh, that you know Professor Frank is based on Jerry Lewis, isn't he? Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he is. That, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you uh, you decided to, t to take the pick up the ball for me there. Okay, good. Okay, I, I, if someone's gonna mention it, I, I would have sworn it was gonna be you. But glory in play. <laughs> yeah, like I find that funnier than actual Jerry Lewis. Like, like I find Professor Freak a lot funny. And like, I never understood it when I was a kid. Like now I get it, and now I get what he's doing in that with that performance. But it's like. Yeah, I think that's funnier than actual Jerry Lewis is. <laughs> I might be inclined to agree with you there, but then again, it's The Simpsons. So, um, oh, oh, and, and not to go off on a tangent, but did you hear that that uh, that they're they're inducting Homer Simpson into the Baseball Hall of Fame this year? That's pretty awesome <laughs> because what? of that one episode he did where he played baseball or softball or whatever it is. Oh, but... the one with like the All Star team and the yes, with, I remember with that. The... Episode. <laughs> I told you to trim those sideburns. <laughs> So I think that whole episode is like it's part of a whole like promotion. That whole episode is getting inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. So that's uh, that's pretty neat. <laughs> they're actually going to do at, at Cooperstown. I think they're going to do like a roundtable. Like it's going to be free to the public. Where like he's going to have Ozzy Smith there and Steve Sachs and all those guys that were in the episode. They're just going to I guess talk about it for an hour <laughs> and then they're going to induct it into the Hall of Fame, which is pretty cool. I mean that's that, that's how much The Simpsons just transcends everything at this point. <laughs> huh. That's interesting. Uh, I remember that episode. That's a good episode. Um, it's a that's an early one. It's like season three or four, right? Season four, I think. It's but that's like one of the all time classics. Like when you think classic Simpsons, like 
that's one of them. You know? All I remember for that episode, and you you have to you have to tell me which ones, which baseball players were which that happened to. I remember two fate, the, the ultimate fates of two two players. One got like got like a, a massive mutation of his brain from drinking too much. Like Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, that was Ken Griffey Jr. And then who was the one that fell into the infinite hole? Ozzy Smith. Okay. <laughs> Oh, no, wait, my, no, my favorite the, gag from that, my favorite the, gag from that scene where he's falling in, bro, like, he's, like, screaming, like, ah, and then he sees, like, something cool, he's like, oh, cool, he takes a picture, and then he goes back to screaming, ah. <laughs> I love that gag, bro, bro, this whole episode. And then, the, actually, the other thing I do remember is, um, uh, I think, is it Daryl Strawberry, where someone makes it a Daryl Strawberry, and then he turns around and he starts crying? Yes, uh, it's his Bart's um, goading him from the stand. He goes like, "You stink, Strawberry. We want home run Homer." And then Marge is telling him, "Stop. You know you're gonna hurt his feelings." He goes like, "They're professional athletes. They're used to this." And then you cut to Daryl Strawberry's wiping a tear off of his face. <laughs> <laughs> so that episode is going to Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes. I didn't realize they did that. Did they put like pop culture in there? Well, I, I mean, as far as I know, no. This is like. The first time they're doing it. Maybe they have done it in the past, but it's very infrequent Like to, for it to be a big deal. Because if you're going to put pop culture in there, then the movie Major League has to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm sure. Well, maybe this is the beginning. Like It'll be Homer Simpson and this episode going in, and maybe Major League will be the next one. Because Major League is the best baseball movie of all time. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, bro. <laughs> that, talk about a class. I hope that's in your your random movie <laughs> generator thing. <laughs> I don't know if we'll get to that one, but but it's still one of the best baseball movies ever made. Like you can't you can't not have it if you're gonna do that, you have to you have to put that in there. That's all I'm gonna say. Um so let's talk about um the last line of the film. Uh where we have it's the it's the best closing line I think in any movie, especially in any comedy ever. Um and apparently it was it was originally written but it was not intended to make the final film because they didn't think it was that funny because they wanted right. to, they wanted to go out on like a big gag like a big hilarious line but then the more and more they thought about it both IL I it's hard to say IAL Diamond and Billy Wilder were like no actually it makes more sense to go out on a flat line than it does on a big line because that it's funnier if the line is a little like flat so like, it's funnier if it's uh, if it's not a big line, because it's such an underreaction. So right. Uh, so of course the you know, and I'm gonna read it. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna try and uh, uh, try and, and and do a good you know Jack Lemmon uh, uh, impression impression here. But it's basically uh, he goes. Uh, I'm gonna live with you. We can't get married. He goes. Why not? Well, in the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. And he goes. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. I don't care. Well, I have a terrible past. For three years, I've been living with a saxophone player, which is funny enough as it is. I forgive you. And he goes, I could <laughs> never have children. We can adopt some. And, and all these things to try to get him to understand. Like, he can't, he can't. And then he's like, oh, you'd understand. I'm a man. And then he goes, well, nobody's perfect. He's perfect. <laughs> Such a great line. And what's funny and i forget who it was on the, on the documentary that i watched the the making of documentary was you know it's a funny line to go out on and then people are still laughing about it as they go out they leave the movie theater and they go back to their car but then they think wait a minute what does that mean are they still gonna get married so like <laughs> it's, just, it's just a funny thing to think about like this is 
for for if you think that the and I don't think this is at all, but I I know some people you know in today's modern era where everyone gets offended by anything, people might think that this is more of a, a mocking of that of that kind of lifestyle. And I don't think it is at all. Um, but it is a more it is a very it takes a very inclusive, very open minded uh, look at, at 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 I guess homosexuality, right? Where he's like. I don't care. I love this woman. I don't care. She's a man. I'm gonna marry her. I mean, that's that's progressive. I mean, whether you want to say it or that's a progressive thought. It's a funny thought. It's a funny. It's a funny situation, right? But it's a progressive stance. Absolutely. Talk about and like like you said, talk about the underreaction of the century. Like it's just like so out of place at that moment in time that when he says it. it it's hilarious because that's like the last thing you think anybody – if this was happening for real at that time, that would be the last thing anybody would say. Nobody's perfect. But like it's just – and then uh, Joey Brown's delivery, that's what – I think that's the icing on the cake too. Like you, you can't count out like just his line delivery. Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> and he's got that look like on just, his – that little smug little look on his face. Exactly. Yeah, Joey Brown has some great, great like facial expressions in this film. But that that and when he when he says that line, it's it's perfect. Like nobody's perfect. <laughs> they just keep trying. <laughs> um, it's such a great note to, to end the movie on, you know. Um, now, as you can probably imagine, even though this movie was funny, uh, and even though it was very well accepted at the time, um, apparently a few people didn't like the film, and the the oh, I'm the, sure. the Roman Catholic Legion of Decency. Has uh, gave the film a condemned rating uh, for its uh, for its depiction of of, the, of this kind of alternate lifestyle, and uh, the Kansas uh, the state of Kansas banned the film altogether, saying that cross dressing was quote too disturbing for Kansans. <laughs> I wonder if that slogan's on their uh, their welcome to Kansas sign. <laughs> too, too disturbing for Kansans. Oh uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, it's just funny. Like, of course, of course, they had to get upset about that. Like that, the Roman. If you see something, the the Roman Legion of Decency or something, whatever, the Roman Catholic Legion. Of, of course, they're not going to have fun with anything. They're going to hate everything. Can you imagine yeah, if they were still I, around now? No movies would pass their their test. The uh, yeah, I think that they folded around like 1989. I think was like when they they, they kind of disbanded. But um, and it's funny you mentioned them because I was uh, reading up on uh, Clockwork Orange because I had just went oh yeah to, you, just, uh, you went to see it at I went Alamo to the thirty five millimeter screening yes at uh, at uh, Alamo Draft House and um like the guy uh the, like the I guess they call themselves the concierge I guess that's what they call themselves at Alamo like the concierge of the theater you know he kind of before the movie started he went into like the history like the controversy about it and all that so and then um when I got home I like you know I kind of did my own research. Like I, I know a lot about the film already, but like when you do screenings like this, like you kind of want to like revisit like some of the history behind it. So I started reading up more about the film again, and uh, that's one of the facts that I found that it was given a C rating by the Roman Catholic League of Decency or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> um, and then when I looked up that organization, I found out that they folded in uh, I think 1989. So yeah, I think what it meant was that like if you were a uh, Catholic, like, you were literally forbidden to see it because like you would go to hell if you did. Well, uh, uh, according <laughs> according to them, this was a quote morally objectionable movie, and it quote promoted homosexuality, lesbians, and trans transvestitism. 
Uh, and, and I thought, is that even a real word? And I thought to myself, lesbianism. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a scene where where Tony as uh, as Josephine kisses Sugar, and he's in full yes. makeup, and then everyone stops, and like <laughs> the the sweet Sue, the band leader, who's like the whole movie has been about like making this like very making her band a very wholesome band you know no drinking no no being with men everything like that because they lost one of their people to like they, she got pregnant or something and they ran off uh so she sees this and she just she's like being stuck because that, that what is it like an accountant she's always yelling at him because of, because of stuff that's happening uh that's such a great reaction and you know it's kind of funny like when you see that like it, i mean obviously it is still a man kissing a woman but it is for it appears to be two women kissing. I mean, that's a pretty that I can see. That's a pretty, pretty risky thing, thing yeah. for for uh, for 1959. Um, exactly. <laughs> Beanstalk. Um, <laughs> but yeah, go back. I want to talk to you about Alamo Draft House a little bit to take a little bit of a tangent here. Um, the so you want to see Clockwork Orange? What? So is the is there an Alamo in where, where was it? Where's so. It? There's actually okay, so there's a little bit of a misconception. Um, I I was led to believe that this was the first Alamo Draft House in New York. That is not true. There's actually one all the way up in upstate New York, but of course that's like a four hour drive for me. I'm 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 not going up there. But so this is actually the first Alamo in the New York City metropolitan area. Okay. So like in the between like the the boroughs of New York and then Jersey, you know, like the like Hoboken, Jersey City, Newark. Um, this is the first one that's in that area. So, of course, I'm like, I've heard all these things about Alamo Draft House. You know, they work with Mondo, who I always buy posters from, or I try to at least. That Captain America Civil War drop today was not very successful, <laughs> and I'm putting that lightly. But um, I, uh, I've i just been hearing so much about them. And especially, like, I think their claim to fame, if I'm not mistaken, was their, uh, their, their no-talking, no-texting policy. Like, they have, like, the trailers on YouTube. Um where, like, they kind of stress, like, if, you know, you, if we catch you texting, we're going to kick you out without a refund. But they do it more humorously than I'm depicting right now. Yeah, I, but, uh, I, I, remember, I remember that. And it, um, they, didn't they take, like, a recording of someone and, like, yes. like a voicemail of someone? And then, like, Some, a customer complained that they had kicked this lady out for, for texting. I, 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 think, I don't know if it was, it was for using her phone, I think. And then she left them an angry voice. I was saying, you know... You effing people, like, I'm not coming to your effing theater ever again. I was just using the light on my phone to find my seat, you know? And then at the end, it goes, like, good. And then she goes, like, I'm, I'm not coming back to your theater again. And then at the end, like, the words on the screen go, like, good. We don't want you back or something like that. So <laughs> they're pretty funny. But you, you come to find out, they're actually pretty serious about that because, like, you they – during the movie, you literally had people like going up and down like every like ten, fifteen minutes, like just like checking the rows and everything. So, interesting. They're not joking around. And there's a they actually did play a trailer before. Um, well, not a trailer. It was a PSA before the movie started. Where uh, I forgot it's some B movie. I don't know what what movie this. I'm, I'm gonna look it up because it's very interesting. So they had a PSA before the movie started. Where it's this uh, woman and this doctor comes like to the door, right? And she goes, like, hello, doc, like, come into the house. So they, she takes him upstairs, and upstairs is this kid. Now, this kid is, like, seven years old, but he's, like, he's, like, super tall. Like, he's, like, a giant. Like, not, like, a giant giant, but, like, a giant enough where, like, his head is almost hitting the roof. Giant. So, you know, it's one of these corny B-movies, right? So the doctor talks to the kid, and he goes, like, 
you know, like I forgot what it was like maybe Jerry's like Jerry, like, you know, you need to calm down. And then the kid looks at me and goes like, get the fuck out. <laughs> right. He just screams at him. And then the screen goes black and then the words come up. If we catch you talking or texting, we're going to tell Jerry to tell you to get the fuck Everybody started laughing at the end. That's all. I, when they do like that, it's just like really like niche like film stuff. They take this obscure reference, some obscure B movie, and just kind of tie it into their whole campaign. It's just I was laughing my ass off. That's I'm gonna see if it's on YouTube. If it is, I'm gonna send it to you because it, it was it was hilarious. <laughs> I have so, to bleep out the f word there, but so I mean, so in addition to um, stuff like that, like those trailers and things like that, what else? Like, what makes it special? What makes Alamo Draft House special? I mean, no, they serve booze, right? Yes, they do. Um, so if you've ever been to the AMC dining theaters, it's pretty much a similar experience. Um, there's no concession stand; you order everything through uh, through the the waiter. Okay. Um, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you come in, they, uh, they, uh, they, 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 uh, the waiter introduces themselves. They say, okay, this is how it works. You know, you just look at the menu, you take the pad and pen, you write down what you want, put it up on the, the holder. And then we just come and collect the, uh, the orders. Um, if you need anything, you just kind of turn the pad up. That way we know somebody has an order and we'll just come and pick it up. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, they, uh, Oh, wait till you see those prices. I, I took pictures of the entire menu. I will send you some of those. Um, let's just say <laughs> they have the, their popcorn is $9, bro, wow. for popcorn. I mean, it, it is New York. It is New York. Let's just get that out of the way first. But still, like yeah, but $9 for popcorn. Yeah, but they're also like – that's where they're making their money, right? They're not making their money on the movie. They're making their money on that. Exactly. Um, um, interesting. So like I um, – it's not, I mean, so first of all, next time I go to New York, we got to do this. We got to go to a movie at the draft house. Hell yes, hell next yes. Next time I'm there, we'll, we'll, like, like hopefully something cool is playing, like like a Clockwork Orange or something. But uh, we got to do that next time. But um, secondly, like so, I used to. I'm really annoyed about this because I had a dine-in theater across the street from me. It was an independent theater. It wasn't AMC. It wasn't anything. It was like an independent. It was more like an Alamo draft house, but not even that big. Like as far as a franchise goes, it was like I think it had only one other franchise, and it was in Texas. So it was just the Texas location and this location here in Illinois, uh, and it was great. It's literally, and when I say literally across the street, I mean literally across the street. As in, I walk out my door, cross the street, and then go into the building that is right there. Um, and it was great. They, and you'd go in. They had like maybe six theaters, so the you, you only got like. Um, the very tippy top of the major releases, right? Uh, so, like, you got the... You, you didn't get... It wasn't art house or anything, so, like, you couldn't get, like, really, like, arty movies. But, like, you could see, like, your, your you know, Captain America's or your Batman Superman or whatever. You saw most of your major releases in that theater. But what was great about it was that... Uh, and this is... <clears throat> this is why some people would say, you have a kid, how do you get to see all these movies? Because I'd go at, like, 10 o'clock at night to the theater across the street... And after my kid went to bed, that's how I saw all those movies because like they was right. right across the street, and they're still there. But he, it, but it was just like how you describe, you know, you get to your seat, you get a menu, and it was a full menu, right? You had appetizers and hamburgers and pizza and um, pasta and salads. It was a full full menu. Yep, they got um, all that. They, they have a little more. Uh, the menu was very hipster, in my opinion. You have stuff like you know, like a you have Cobb salad, you have freaking. Uh, lamb burgers you have like you have a steak sandwiches 
it, like it, it's very like hipster kind of stuff. You know, they had like a a, a grilled vegetable burger. Right. Like it's not just your typical hamburger. They have like it's that kind of specialty food. Right. So they had all that, and and uh, it's it, it's it's not. I don't think it was as like the Alamo Draft House sounds a little nicer, but it was still like a full menu, right? And I loved it there. They had the, the really great appetizer that included uh, chicken fingers, jalapeno poppers, and uh, Southwest egg rolls, right? And it was really good. I got that every time. But then, like, one day I went over there, and they're like, okay, you can go to the – and they didn't have a concession stand. Uh, and then they were uh, – one day I went over there, bought my ticket. I don't know what I went to see. And they're like, okay, the concession stand is behind you. I'm like, concession stand? You guys didn't have a concession stand before. They're like, oh, yeah, we're just changing a few things now. So I'm like, okay. So I saw, and then I saw that there was no menus anymore. So they took that out, and there was only like oh. they they really limited the choices to like you you know popcorn and candy, but then also like you got maybe like a handful of the things of, of that used to be on the menu, right? And like so they completely eliminated. And then the biggest sin of all, the biggest sin of all, my friends, they switched to Pepsi products, and I hate Pepsi products. Oh uh, well, so we'll see that that would have been a plus for me because I I'm, I'm a Pepsi guy. I'm drinking a Pepsi right now, actually. So no, I, I am a Coke. I am a Coke man all my my whole life. I've always been a Coke man. I can't stand a Pepsi, and they changed the Pepsi. And they changed the Pepsi. So like the, every time I go over there now, it's just like a shell of its former self. I don't know if it went through like a a, a management change or what, but I'm really annoyed. <laughs> it's still there, and it's still con- it's still a convenient movie theater. I'm not going to stop going to it. I think yeah. I saw. I mean, I, I I just saw La La Land there a couple weeks ago, right? But I'm still super annoyed that they took away like all the stuff that I liked about it. <laughs> anyway. well, I kind of had a similar experience though when I with my local art house chain that's uh, that's close to where I live, where they switched from uh, Pepsi to Coke products. That really kind of annoyed me. But uh. Uh, so, but see, most theater chains are Coke. That most of them are Coke. Like so, that's why I got annoyed. I think they're all Coke now at this point. Yeah, like especially AMC or, or um, what's the other major chain? Uh, um. Well, Bowtie is the Regal. one around here. I don't know if you have Regal's a Bowtie. What's that? I don't have a Bowtie. Uh, Bowtie, yeah. yeah that's, that's the Art House one that I have. Oh, here, no, I so. haven't seen that one. I, I it, it, Here, the major chains are AMC, but AMC is everywhere. Regal Cinemas is another one. and that, that has Coke. Regal has, uh, I think, now Coke again. So Yeah, so, uh, but, yeah, I was annoyed. <laughs> I was, uh, anyway. <laughs> but, but, let, well, but let me paint you a picture. Let me be Bob Rosterman. Let me paint you a picture of this place, bro. You walk in, and... The the carpet, the freaking carpet on the uh, on the floor is the same carpet from The Shining from the hotel. Oh, bro. that's that's cool. That that wacky orange pattern, bro, is the same exact pattern. You walk in automatically. I'm already marking out because it's The Shining. You have you have posters everywhere there's posters everywhere and they're wacky posters it's not just your typical posters they're wacky posters because they're of like classic movies but from like other countries so i took pictures of like a shiny poster from like germany or something i took a picture of an old jaws poster i took a picture of a texas chainsaw massacre poster from another country it's like it's all this like wacky so this is stuff like tarantino with cream over you know (laughs) um they have this bar already like in the lobby area called house of wax i didn't go inside i'm gonna go oh. in when i go i'm going back next week because i'm attending a screening of maniac and william lustig is going to be in attendance the original so maniac? that's yes oh. with uh joe spinell 
the alpha, bro. And then Tom Savini getting his head blown off. So, um, so I'm gonna go to House of Wax next week when I when I go back for that screening. But um, so like I said, there's no concession stand. You go up an escalator, and it's just the theaters, and that's pretty much the end. But like the whole the hallways are adorned with these like foreign posters of these classic films. And some of these aren't even classic. Some of these are like these typical sci-fi B movies that you never heard of. But since you don't know the, the language, you can't tell what movie. You don't know what the title is. So there's just all these wacky posters. So then you sit down. Now this is the Clockwork Orange screen. So you sit down, and instead of playing like trivia or like the the behind the screen stuff that you see at AMC now with Maria Menounos and all that crap, you know you have a scene from a Malcolm McDowell movie playing. Then you have um, a scene from another Malcolm McDowell movie playing. Then you have Gene Kelly, the scene of Gene Kelly doing Singing in the Rain from that movie. And I'm laughing my ass off when I see that because I'm telling Joe, I'm like, bro, anybody who's seen this movie for the first time is not going to get this. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> I'm just laughing at the poor souls who I hope none of them in this theater. But I'm laughing at the poor souls who are sitting here, never seen The Clockwork Orange before, and are seeing now Gene Kelly doing Singing in the Rain. And like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Why are they showing me this? Well, they're showing you this for a reason. <laughs> um, then there's a whole like little featurette about how like there's this porn parody of a Clockwork Orange <laughs> that came out like 1970 something, and it's like this whole behind the scenes of how they made that porn parody. Now I'm just sitting there like this is some wacky stuff they're showing me, but it's all related, bro. It's all related to this to the movie we're about to watch. And also on top of that, there's drink specials. So for I'm, I don't know if you saw the Instagram post that I it went on Facebook, but I took a picture of the drink menu that they had just for this screening, where they had the Cordova Milk Bar, which is like a coconut milk with like dark rum, chocolate, nutmeg. That's what I had, and then they had this uh, I forgot what the what the heck it's called. It's I'll show you the picture, but it's that that syringe mic. That he mentioned it in the movie, but I forgot what it is, what it's actually called. It's like that weird like lingo name, but. They had those two special drinks that are based on the movie. So I just kind of marked out at the fact that I was drinking the milk drink, the milk plus, while Alex was drinking the milk plus on screen. It's like this, this, this wacky stuff like that, that that just – if you're a film geek, that's stuff, that's stuff you live for. That's the stuff that you mark out for. Now, were, and, you, uh, now you, were you drinking that milk, were you staring straight ahead with dead eyes and uh, makeup on one eye as like all this stuff happened around you? No, but I was wearing a T-shirt of a guy with the same makeup and the same hat, had given the same stare. So, yeah. by the way, I I tagged you just now on the on the the picture with the the drinks from that night. So it's the Corova Milk Bar. That's the one I had. It was eleven dollars. Uh, I see it here. Dark and, rum, uh, creme de cacao, cream, chocolate, and nutmeg. That sounds very good. It, it Although, actually was very good. The shake sounds even better. I would have gotten the shake. Mezcal. We got the shake. Orange and vanilla ice cream. That sounds amazing. You should have gotten that, dude. Mm. But I'm a milkshake. Well, 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 now I'll never know what it tastes like, So unfortunately, <laughs> because that was only for that night. I don't know if they're going to keep it around, but I'll, I'll find out when I go next week if they still sell those. Maybe not. Maybe that was a special thing. But. Anyway, let's, let's go back to but like, but like, a, But a movie, like, to kind of wrap up, but a place like that that kind of just takes so much care and just making this, an ex not just you're going to see a movie, but a freaking experience you know that's what i think makes places like alamo special and i'm they just found a, a lifetime customer if they keep stuff like this up
Yeah. Well, next time I go, we're going. Hell yeah. Hopefully they have like a cool retro feature like a Clockwork Orange going on. Well, if it, well, if you're coming if you're coming to, to town, you got to tell me in advance so I can look up something. Because they're doing – what they're doing is um, uh, Alamo and Mondo are doing a year-long tribute to Kubrick. So every quarter they're going to do a Kubrick uh. screening. So this quarter was that. I think next quarter is uh, 2001. Then uh, in the summer they're going to do – Full Metal Jacket, and then the last one, uh, October, the last quarter, October, November, December, is going to be Shining. So to wrap up uh, Some Like It Hot here, a little bit of its legacy. It did. It was nominated for some Academy Awards, including uh, Jack Lemmon for Best Actor, uh, Billy Wilder for Best Director, uh, Screenplay, Cinematography, and uh, Art Direction. It only won one for Costume Design, which, okay, whatever. It should have won a lot more. But again, this is the Ben-Hur year, so of course Ben-Hur cleaned up the Oscars that year. Uh, the same way I think La La Land is going to win this is going to be cleaning up this year, um, but that's that's a story for another podcast. Uh, in 1989, uh, the film was recognized by uh, the United States National Film Registry, and it has been inducted into that uh, as one of the first 25 films inducted, along with Citizen Kane and Casablanca. Um, the it's on several AFI movie lists, including their well, 100 movies of all time. Uh, Nobody's Perfect is in their 100 quotes. And uh, most importantly, it is it was voted the number one uh, best comedy according to the AFI, which I think is pretty well deserved. I actually, I don't, I, I don't know if I would argue with that. I don't know if there's a funnier comedy or a better made comedy than Some Like It Hot. And there are great movies, obviously they're great comedies, but can you think of one that is better than Some Like It Hot? Uh, honestly, I, I really, I, it's pretty well deserved. Like you said, I can't really think of anyone that kind of surpasses it as far as like, cause it's not just about the comedy. It's just about the filmmaking, the technique, the craftsmanship, just everything about that. Like the performances, it's the, the, it's the whole meal, not just the, the one piece uh, of the pie, you know, it's, it's uh, the whole ensemble of it. And that's what I think kind of makes some like a whole kind of just stay in that upper echelon and we can't really like really honestly i think name another comedy that even touches it yeah i mean looking at afi's uh, list here number two was tootsie i think that's way too high for tootsie <laughs> i like tootsie, you think? But i think oh, I, like, I mean criterion might disagree with you I, I like tootsie but number two that's a little much uh dr strangelove all right annie hall okay duck soup not a huge mark Lewis fan but okay blazing saddles Mash, It Happened One Night, The Graduate, and Airplane. That's the top ten. Um, the Graduate, I think, is a little too high. Uh, yeah, I like I, The Graduate, but I think it's kind of flawed, in my opinion. I, no, I, no, the thing about it, I don't see that as a, as a comedy. I mean, yeah, it has lighthearted moments, but I, overall, I don't, I don't consider that a comedy. And it's, and it's, it's on that list. That's kind of weird. But, yeah, I mean, I, anyway. I guess I could see it, but... Uh, airplane should be should be way higher uh, than than number ten. Yeah, airplane, yeah, airplane should uh, be higher. Blazing Saddles, all right. Decorating them, okay. Um, but some, I mean, but some like it hot. Absolutely number one. That's that absolutely makes sense to me. So now that we've reviewed the film, uh, where can you see it? Uh, pretty much anywhere. You can watch this film on any of the major streaming video platforms. It's not on Netflix uh, streaming right now. It, uh, the disc is available to rent. Uh, but you know, Amazon, iTunes, Vudu. Uh, all those kind of streaming services, you should be able to buy rent, buy or rent the film. It should, it's very easy to, it's very easy to access. And of course, the uh, it's very, uh, it's very readily available on physical home media and DVD and Blu-ray. 
I don't think there's any major special editions out there as far as Blu-ray goes. I have a pretty standard edition. It has a couple of special features. The transfer's pretty good, but I, I don't I don't think there's any um, major releases. Do you have Do you know of any? No, not that I know of. Well, it's a pretty accessible movie. It's it's pretty it's pretty inexpensive to 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 buy. Uh, so I wouldn't even rent it. I would just buy it because you you you'll get much rewatchability out of this film. Whether you do it through streaming services uh, or or physical media, I would just buy the film straight out if you haven't seen it. Of course, I don't know how you got this far into the podcast without having seen the film, but whatever. Um, as far as any movies that I would recommend with, with this, I would recommend three. Uh, kind of tying it together, I would recommend another Billy Wilder, Jack Lemmon uh, collaboration, The Apartment. Um, we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about it earlier. It was the Best Picture winner that year. Uh, Jack Lemmon um, t- uh, put in a fantastic performance for this film, uh, and is and it, it's it's kind of it's a comedy as well. That I think that's the only thing I would put that closer to the the top ten as far as comedies as well. But it is also kind of tragic as well, so you get a little bit of that as well. Um, it, it's a great film. Um, Another another uh, Tony Curtis movie I would recommend is Sweet Smell of Success, uh, which has a fantastic Criterion uh, release. Have you ever seen Sweet Smell of Success? I have not. That's one on my bucket list to watch. Oh, it's a great movie. It's a drama, and it's about uh, Tony Curtis is like this uh, the skeezy like uh, manager for like Broadway talent, and he kind of gets involved with this uh, this tabloid writer who, who's played by uh, Burt Lancaster, who kind of everyone respects in uh, his opinion. So he's always trying to get in good with him and and sell his talent on on that. And this guy, and he gets involved in this kind of really skeezy underground uh, blackmail thing. It's really good. And then um, the seven year that's itch. on Criterion, I think, right? Yeah, it's, it has a great Criterion release. Uh, I own the Criterion release of that. It's really really good. Uh, and the other movie I'd recommend is The Seven Year Itch, which is the just 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 for the iconic Marilyn Monroe steam shot that everyone has seen. If you everyone knows that image, but very few people actually know the movie it's from. Uh, and I would I would uh, recommend that one as well. Do you have any recommendations to go along with Some Like It Hot? <laughs> Bro, you were you were spot on with those. I I can't possibly add. <laughs> All right, so I you just made my job easy then. All right, awesome. <laughs> I mean, because I, I was going to say the apartment straight up, but you already beat me to it. So, um, and then as I like to do, I'm going to just just to take a quick look at the at this year in film at this week in film history. Just a couple of movies that came out in the week. Uh, we're going to look at the week of uh, February 24th through March the first. Uh, just look at what came out this year. Um, in February, uh, sorry, in 1941, The Lady Eve was released. You ever seen that film? It's a really good film with uh, Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck. It's a screwball I have comedy. Not seen that one. So it, it has a, that one also has a Criterion release. You should check that one out. Um, mm-hmm. The the movie The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I saw this one in film school. You ever uh, seen that? I have I have the uh, the Kino. Blue yeah, I, I have the Kino of that as well. It's a great twist ending. If you've never seen it, one of the one of the first twist endings I think in cinema. Um, what else? Dark City was also a movie that was released this week in February 27th. I, I love Dark City. Um, this one, not a, a, a major, not a, a feature length, but uh, I think an important, an important release. In 1953, on February 28th, uh, the short uh, Warner Brothers cartoon Duck Amuck is released. You know which one this one is? Uh, I've heard the title before, but remind me what it is. This is my about. favorite Warner Brothers cartoon ever. Probably a close second would be What's Opera Doc? Uh, with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, but this I think is my favorite. It's the one where Daffy Duck 
is uh, being tormented by the artist of the cartoon, and he's constantly changing the background. Oh, I've seen that one. Okay, I yeah, it, it's such a great, it's a great cartoon, and it's it's really artistically well done. It's probably my favorite cartoon ever, and I wanted to throw that in there. Uh, and on March second of this week, uh, in 1933, the original King Kong was released. Um, oh, did you see my picture at Alamo? I did not see that. <laughs> Speaking of King Kong, I'm about to tag you in it right now because. This is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about because this was – as soon as you walk in, I told you you have the uh, the shining rug and then on the on your right, there's a wall and it has the landscape of New York City. But it's like in black and white. And you see model planes kind of on the ceiling, kind of just displayed. Mm-hmm. And there's a replica of the top of the Empire State Building literally on the floor. And there's a uh, there's a stand with a note on it and it has a picture of the scene from King Kong where he's on top of the Empire State Building. And it says uh, – Directions. One, stand on the platform, which is the Empire State Building platform. Two, have a friend take your picture. Number three, make sure that the picture doesn't have doesn't show the ceiling or the, the edges of the wall. Number four, use a black and white filter. And then number five, tag at Alamo NYC. So that's what I did. So I took a picture of myself. Oh, actually, well, Joe took a picture of me in front of that wall. With the planes surrounding me, and he put it in a black and white filter, so it looks like I am King Kong getting attacked by planes. <laughs> so nice. hold on, I'm tagging you right now in that one, so you can uh, take a look. All right, let me look at that right now. I see it popped up. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. That's very. I cool. have my I have my, my just bring it Randy Orton look. <laughs> That's a pretty. That's a pretty. Good, that's a cool idea. That's a super cool idea. And I tell you, man, Al. Again, I can't. I can't sing the praise of Alamo Draft House enough. It's just what. What a great place. If you're a cinephile, you have to go to one of these. Or if, if one doesn't exist near you, demand that one open near you. Or just travel to Texas or to New York to to go to one. All right. Well, I'm definitely gonna go to to one with you next time in New York. Oh. By the way, I just I did want to before before we open up the uh, random movie generator, I did want to add I want to tell you one thing I think you'll appreciate. So my daughter, as you know, I've been like trying to introduce her to some like classic Disney movies. You know, I've I've showed her I've showed her all the '90s Renaissance ones: the Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and uh, Lion King. All right, she's 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 into those okay enough. She likes uh she I, I showed her Pin, uh, no not Pinocchio I showed her uh Snow White and Fantasia. She's kind of in and out on those. But do you want to know, interestingly enough, the one she, like, cannot get enough of that she watches? Like, so we have an SUV with, like, a DVD player in it that we put the DVDs in for her. And every time she's in there, she always asks for this one. Out of all Disney movies, can you guess which one she wants to watch the most? All right, let's play 20 questions on this one. Is it Renaissance or is it, like, uh, early, like, 60s, 70s? Like, what year are we talking? 60s. 60s, Okay. Uh, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60. Hmm. My first guess, I think, I don't know if this is even 60s. I, I might be 60s or 70s, but my first guess will be Fox and the Hound. No. Not that one. Okay. Uh, Alice in Wonderland. Nope, that's the 50s. That's 50s, okay. Uh, all right, I, uh, <laughs> I gave up. You tell me which one is she like? I'll give you a hint. It's not animated. It's not. Uh, at least it's not, not animated. At least not a hundred percent. 
Peach Dragon? Nope. No, okay. Farther back. Farther back. Uh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Nice. Of all movies, like a non-animated movie with a lot of like, let's face it, a lot of slow parts. She loves that freaking movie. And she'll get in the car, she'll be like, Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins? I'm like, all right, Mary Poppins again. (laughs) I like out of all movies, like that's her thing. It's like she likes Sesame Street. She likes Minnie Mouse. She likes just Minnie Mouse generally. Like there's a bunch of Minnie Mouse cartoons on YouTube you can find. Um, but she loves freaking Mary Poppins. I don't know why. I like it. It's cool. Uh, but she she loves me. And then the other yesterday. So we ha- I have all my my Blu-rays in like a big cabinet because I don't want her like going in and like just taking stuff out. So you have to open the door and like to like grab a movie. But uh, I accidentally left it open because I was doing I was getting a movie. I don't know why I left it open. But I left one of the cabinets open. And uh, I come, I'm, I'm like cooking dinner, and my wife, I don't know what my wife is doing, she's not paying attention. And then I see my my daughter come in, and she has, she has grabbed a Criterion movie off the shelf. And she's like, Daddy, watch. Daddy, can we watch? And I'm like, what? What are we? And then you know what movie she picked? What? Safety Last. <laughs> Our boy Harold Lloyd, bro. <laughs> Which, when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you can totally watch this movie. I'm fine with that. Like, and I put it in. She watched it for like half. Then she then it was time for dinner, so like she she didn't finish watching it. She didn't so she didn't get to like the famous scene because it was dinner time. Oh, but but yeah. like uh, but it was funny because she picked it too because like I went over She's and on I the saw right path because man, she had she had like taken a bunch of DVDs off the shelf and like scattered them on the floor and then saw that one based on the cover art was like, I want to watch this. So like, <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm growing a little cinephile here. It makes my heart proud. Well, uh, I'm, I'm shedding a tear right now. Daryl Strawberry did and <laughs> Simpsons, it's, but it's a tear of joy. Um, did you hear about the uh, Mary Poppins sequel they're doing? Uh, yeah. With, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda's doing the songs and stuff. Yeah. Emily Blunt's going to be Mary Poppins. I think, which fits, uh, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, I'm okay with it. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> sure, why not? I, I, why I'm not, not a big Mary. I like Mary Poppins enough. You know, I, I'm not a huge. I'm not. Gonna well, we've be probably like, seen like a billion times at this point. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm not going to be like one of those people that that's like, you know, oh, they're they're ruining a legacy, or whatever, whatever. I mean, it's not a remake; it's a sequel, so I'm okay with it. Sequel, you know? Yeah. If it was a remake, it'd be a little more, you know. But uh, but you know what? I did see the Jungle Book remake, and that was actually really good. Yeah, but the Lion King remake does kind of annoy me. But at least they brought back James Earl Jones, which is the only Mufasa ever. He's, he'll, he'll only, always be Mufasa and Darth Vader, that guy. Yeah, but if so. you don't have Jeremy Irons as Scar, I mean, you can't not do Scar. Yeah, I wonder what they're going to get for that. Better be somebody like can fill the shoes, but I don't know, I don't know if anybody can. But we'll see. All right, so let, let, let's pull out the random movie generator and, just, and, and see what we're going to be watching next week. Sorry, I got it. I got it up here. So let's, let's see what we're gonna be watching here. All right, here we go. And we are gonna be. Oh my God! One of my favorite movies ever. We are we go. We will be going back back to Hitchcock. We haven't done Hitchcock since Vertigo. And we're going to go all back right. to Alfred Hitchcock. In my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie of all time, Rear Window. Yes. All right. Back to Jimmy Stewart, too. So. Jeff Jimmy Stewart, another Jimmy Stewart-Hitchcock collaboration. Uh, and this is this is legitimately my favorite, my number one favorite Hitchcock movie. So I'm really excited about this one. 
Hey, Mark, that kid is coming. To, this one is the Simpsons parody I'm quoting right now. That kid over there is coming to kill me. <laughs> they did that. They did a par- that parody so well. I don't know if you remember that episode. It's the episode where Bart breaks his leg when he tries to jump into the pool and he gets stuck for the summer in his room with the cast on. And Lisa gives him the telescope, so he starts snooping on everybody. And uh, he sees he thinks Ned Flanders killed his wife. What? Actually, he broke her plants. <laughs> and there you go. But I heard a woman scream, and then it turns out it was Flanders screaming like a woman. <laughs> Bro, but like, any excuse to get me to watch that that Simpsons episode again? I, it, it, I'm, I'm all ears. And 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 Rear Window, I get to revisit that classic again too. So it's a good day for everybody. So you want to know something kind of ironic? Um, I'm not going to explain exactly how the Tumblr or, or how the uh, random movie generator works, uh, but basically it's 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 on a it's on a there's a certain system, and if this system would have been one number off, uh, you know what the movie would have been chosen would, would have been a Clockwork gonna, Orange. I'm... Oh wow! <laughs> it wasn't. It was. It's Rear Window. That's what we're going to do. But it's funny because that it was this close to being a Clockwork Orange. Uh, you know you could have ricked it. You could have rigged it. I could have rigged it, but I, I I like to keep the integrity of the random movie generator. <laughs> like, so next, I just saw this movie like two days ago. Like, I would have been fresh. I could have done it right now. <laughs> so we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do Rear Window next time, um, and I'm very excited because I love I really love that movie. All right, so that's gonna be our show for next week. Uh, let's so let's let's wrap things up here. I thought this was gonna be a short episode and end up being one of you know pretty long actually. Um, Typical. Typical, right? Uh, it's not as long as our monster uh, Gone with the Wind episode. <laughs> that thing was massive. Uh, also, but, we went on like a hundred different tangents on that show. Uh, we so. did. We went on a hundred different tangents on this show too. Let's be honest. Uh, but, but, but they were, yeah. But still, like, they, but they were like <laughs> wacky tangents, though. Like freaking Alamo Draft House and the Oscars was so kind of topical. Still, yeah. All right. So um, before we get to plug, I'm going to go ahead and plug my stuff here. Uh, please visit EssentialFilmsPodcast.com uh, for news and articles. Uh, by the time this drops, the my list of the uh, top ten movies of the year of 2016 should be up. Included in that is what I call the Essential Film Awards, where I I do my own Oscars and I put uh, I, I name my you know best actor, best actress, all those things. Same categories, except I add a couple. I put in best stunts, which I think is an award that should be given out, uh, and uh, and things like I also award things like best action movie, best horror movie, best sci fi movie, things like that. Uh, but that that is my that is going to be by the time this episode goes up that article should be up i'm working on it now as i said earlier i do have just a couple more movies i want to squeeze in there to make sure i get that a full complete list um you're going to email us at essentialfilmspodcast at gmail.com and please like the essential films on facebook and follow at essential films on twitter and if you like this this show please like rate review and subscribe to us on itunes um I'm also on another show with my friend here, Mark, on uh, called Force Perspective. Uh, we recently um, we recently did a couple of new episodes. Uh, one, or we put up a massive episode recently that had both uh, uh, the fall movies like Doctor Strange and um, Edge of Seventeen and Fantastic Beats, and also uh, the Rogue One, uh, the Rogue One uh, Star Wars story on it as well as and then more recently i think what was it was uh more of the oscar more of the, the oscar, oscar movies yeah, like oscar movie. hell or high water i think was in there uh yes la la land la la land and then we also did and that was that the same so we did our our top 10 as well 
Yes, so that was a pretty massive show. We had to actually split it into two episodes. Yeah. That was like a four or five hour show. Yeah, so that you can look out for that. Those are the, the more recent episodes we did. And then we can look forward to uh, a post-Oscar show coming soon, correct? Yep, that'll actually be next week. We're going to drop that. So we got, the Oscars have to happen first. <laughs> so. Right, exactly. And that, as, as we record this, uh, the Oscars are about, what is Thursday night? So the Oscars are... Two days away, two nights, three nights away, actually, if you count Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So uh, it'll be after the Oscars obviously happen that we'll be doing our post game show on that. Um, what other plugs you want to throw out there? All right. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SportsGuy515. And you can even follow Force Perspective on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast. Um, by the time this drops, the. Uh, the big, uh, the big announcement or big giveaway, I guess I should say, is that um, we are launching a huge Force Perspective uh, social media network. So this weekend, kind of in collaboration with the Academy Awards, with the fact that I'm going to the 24-hour uh, uh, marathon that we alluded to at the beginning of the show, um, I will be doing Instagram videos and the Twitter statuses throughout the, uh, the 24 hours that I'm there. Whether I'm sleeping, well, I'm, I'm, I probably won't be sleeping, but you know, you'll get like up to the hour updates of what I'm doing. Well, probably not up to the hour, but like after every movie or right before every movie, I'll be doing updates. I'll be doing videos. I'll be talking to people, getting their reactions to the movie they just saw. So, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm actually gonna kind of get up the nerve and try to talk to strangers about movies, strangers which is kind of what I like to do anyway. So, but uh, there's lots of stuff going on. So this is by now. It's the uh, Force Perspective Network has launched. Um, we're going to catch uh, pre- episode previews on YouTube. We're going to see Instagram pictures, videos. You know, we're going to promote the show in a big way at this point. So um, definitely be on the lookout for that. Follow us on all those social media platforms right now. I don't have the names for them yet, like their uh, at names. So um, we will be releasing that once they're all confirmed at a later date. But that's that's my little pet project I've been working on, and I'm very excited to see it finally go go live uh this weekend in conjunction of course with the uh the big academy awards ceremony on sunday awesome good stuff good stuff looking forward to uh to the expansion of the fp movie uh extended cinematic universe <laughs> you threw all the you pretty much took everything in. <laughs> i threw them all in there i threw them all in yeah all right folks that'll about do it for us uh thank you so much for listening and uh we'll be back next time with rear window uh so please make sure you go out and watch that before you listen to our episode and uh that'll be it for this week's episode we hope you enjoyed it and before we sign off we'd just like to tell you nobody's perfect see you later sugar what do you think you're doing I told you I'm not very bright. Let's go! You don't want me, sugar. I'm a liar and a phony. A saxophone player. One of those no-goodniks you keep running away from. I know, every time. Sugar, do yourself a favor. Go back to where the millionaires are. The sweet end of the lollipop, not the coleslaw in the face, the old socks and the squeezed-out tube of toothpaste. That's right, pour it on. Talk me out of it. I called Mama. She was so happy she cried. She wants you to have her wedding gown. It's white lace. Yeah, that's good. I can't get married in your mother's dress. <laughs> she and I, we are not built the same way. We can have it altered. Yeah, I know you don't. That's good. I'm good of level with you. We can't get married at all. Why not? Well, in the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. 
I don't care. Well, I have a terrible past. For three years now, I've been living with a saxophone player. I forgive you. I can never have children. We can adopt some. But you don't understand, Osgood. Uh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs>